Applecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts, Carol, Matt, and Mel. And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. Please welcome back to the podcast, Emily. Hey! Hello. Nice to be here. Hey. Remind the folks at home if you are a new viewer or a veteran. I am a newbie watching along. Everything's still still going good? Still enjoying it? Yeah, I do. What about the first half of the season? My, my hoopals were a little ambivalent. Let me think. What happened? A lot of Wolcott stuff. Oh, I loved. See, that hooked me big. Yeah? And the Al Swearingen um, medical problems. That had me absolutely riveted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of eased off a little bit. I find with this, I do a little better if I can watch like two in a row. I get more interested. It's like you get into Deadwood mode. <laughs> and then yeah. you leave Deadwood mode for a week or something. I'm like, I don't think about watching it. Right. The show has a kind of unique rhythm that when you get it onto does. its wavelength, it makes it more enjoyable. So I yeah. can definitely see the advantage of watching it uh, sort of in back-to-back installments. Yeah, and it's different than any other show. I mean, the the way, you know, the the Shakespearean aspect of it and everything, it's it's just a little different and you kind of fall into that mode or you're watching the other things that are on. Mhm. I've got some feedback for the last episode from Nutty, so I'm going to read that now. So this is about childish things. Nutty writes, "This was an odd episode. It was more things happening rather than a story." Al is talking to that head more and more. It spooks Dan, but he's super loyal. Was <laughs> Farnum choking? Was he trying to die? What was that all about? <laughs> Ellsworth is adorable, and I love him. Jane and Joni is awesome. I love how she's trying not to drink, but you can see her addiction physically. She's a mess, but her heart is good. Love that Joni defended herself proactively. I wasn't expecting that. Aren't a lot of episodes just things happening rather than a story? Seems to be. There are times. There are times. Yeah. It only I, becomes a story when you take it as a whole. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that was one of the things that I noticed um, a lot of times I felt like it was, we were like in a conduit episode, but we were in conduit episodes one after another where it was like setting up for something else. But it's still entertaining <laughs> at the same time. So. And was Farnham choking? Was he trying to die? No, he just had a, he had a toothache and he put some... Uh, a rag soaked in clove oil that looked like in his mouth, and then... Uh, it's an accident. He nearly yeah. choked to death, and Richardson saved him. Oh. And he was so grateful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Get the hell I, out of my office. I don't remember. Did Richardson hear the sounds of choking, or did startling him make him, like, inhale the clove sack? He just went in because he needed permission to go watch the bicycle. Right. And came upon... Came upon so it's EB. just a total coincidence. I think so. Okay. Uh, I also have some audio feedback from Will that I neglected to play last episode, so I'll play that now, too. How dare you? Well, you know, he sent it a week early, and when the feedback gets sent early, <laughs> it confuses me. I'm just oh. a hoopalhead, guys. <laughs> I guess you are forgiven, because you are just a hoopalhead. We're all just hoopalheads. <laughs> Guys, guys, what a fucking awesome episode this was. It was amazing. I'll admit I was distracted, so I didn't kind of, I didn't pick up on everything that was happening, but 
what I did see, it was great. Well, what's this? Okay, okay. So, good to, uh, well, I guess it's just good to see Seth and Al working together again. They put their differences aside. Um, two of my favorite characters. Well, I guess I like Seth. I like Seth. Um, Ellsworth conversation with his dog. Yeah, dogs are really good. They're really good listeners, you know, so when you need to work something out, just talk to a dog and it'll all be okay. I don't know. I shouldn't get into the dogs versus cats thing again on this <laughs> podcast. We did that on a, what we make, but I don't think cats are good listeners. Uh, shut up, menu music. Okay. And, um,. <laughs> Yeah, are you guys shipping William and Sophia yet? What would their name be? Wolfia? <laughs> OTP, baby. So, yeah, Miss Isringhausen, that was awesome. And she uh, basically put the smackdown on Alma. So, yeah, what else? I guess that's it. Um, yeah, so I had to watch this episode early since you guys are recording a day early. So I'm going to say this episode is like, <laughs> I probably should say it's like a premature ejaculation. <laughs> it's good for you, so that's all that matters. So talk to you later, guys, and thanks for brushing up against my prick. <laughs> Bye. Uh, is that why you prematurely ejaculated, Will? <laughs> <laughs> that feedback he did. And it yes. sounded too early. <laughs> <laughs> we brushed up against, what? What would that actually be like? Like a metaphor for? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't think too hard about it. Uh, thank you, Will. Go ahead. <laughs> and the last little bit of feedback. It's not about last week's episode, or it's not about the last episode. Uh, it's just a general feedback from a listener, Ed. Ed writes, "Hi, I'm loving the podcast. I really enjoy how in depth you look at every scene. It's great." You mentioned the possibility of doing a bonus episode about John from Cincinnati, and I just wanted to say, please do this. Nobody ever talks about this show, and I don't believe it's like some great overlooked masterpiece, but I do think it's worth watching. Even if you hate it, it'd probably be fun to discuss. Anyway, keep up the great work. So we may cover the pilot episode of John from Cincinnati in what I am calling Hooplecast Phase 2, but I'm not ready to talk about that yet. But it's a, a plan of what we're going to do for the podcast when we wrap Deadwood. We'll revisit that at some point. Announce <laughs> it officially. Probably when we, hit, when we hit the end of this season, we'll talk about it. But it's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll trust you. <laughs> I love the giggling that happened after that. It was just like a bunch of like, you know, just like... <laughs> it was like a, a conspiratorial little girl like giggle. <laughs> Carol and I are good gigglers. <laughs> that was pretty great. I was gonna say, who gigg- giggled? Did I giggle? No. Am I a little I'm girl rich. giggling? What? I'm, I'm rich. rich. I'm, Carol and I both giggled at you. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it was. It seemed like so obvious how much you wanted to talk about it. <laughs> I do. I want to talk about it, but I also want to tease people and keep people waiting. You know, build suspense. So our readers' theater segment today. Ooh ah. Uh is uh, sort of a random musings, miscellaneous items in the uh, the paper. One thing that I glean from this is that the Deadwood of 1877 that's captured in this article doesn't really resemble what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. What year is Deadwood taking place? Remind me. Currently, we are in 1877. 
Okay, so I would say summer eighteen seventy seven, and and this is the fall. But when well, when this plays, you're gonna see how you get a sense of like community and sophistication from the camp that isn't really present in the show. So Mm. this isn't the first time we've had this kind of insight. I kind of wonder whether you know when in some of these places it seems like there's almost like pockets of you know like areas that a nice woman wouldn't go into type thing and. And we're dealing with a tiny little, like, two-block radius of town. Yes, and that's definitely true. The town was kind of divided into an area, uh, like, you know, the reputable area, and then the area called the Badlands, which is where the brothels and saloons were. So, mm-hmm. but still, it, I think it would be nice to have that other aspect of the show. Just Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do give the impression, like, this is all there was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really want that masquerade ball. <laughs> Maybe that's the season finale, masquerade ball. <laughs> the following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times, November 28th, 1877. Local brevities. Owing to the non-arrival of the Cheyenne coach with expected paper, we are compelled to go to press upon Manila and of a reduced size. Tis the best obtainable in the Gulch. Thermometer at noon, four degrees. Hot coffee, tea, and chocolate at the Oyster Bay. For your roast turkey, etc., tomorrow, go to Gregory's. Large and small game for the Thanksgiving dinner at the IXL Restaurant, Main Street. Oysters stewed, fried, broiled, and raw at the Oyster Bay. Gregory is preparing for Thanksgiving on an extensive scale. Brown and Thumb and Stebbin, Wood and Post will close their banking houses to tomorrow. Drink Tom and Jerry, hot scotch and rum punch at Oyster Bay. Oyster pie, turkey, and all of the entrees of a genuine Thanksgiving dinner at Gregory's tomorrow. The Cheyenne coach went out on runners this morning. Slaying all through the hills is most excellent. The nicest bread, cakes, and pies in town at the bakery and coffee house, Sherman Street. From the appearance of things, Thanksgiving is near at hand, and everybody is troubled with stomachache. Mr. Gidley, the popular superintendent of the Bismarck stage line, came in on yesterday's coach. Lawyers Hasty and Gaffey are making the fur fly. That is, they've gone hunting. The popular route east is via the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad. Through tickets to Chicago and all points east can be purchased at the Cheyenne and Black Hills Stage Company's office, Deadwood DT. Tickets cheap as by any route. Notices Information is wanted of Conrad Schlerett, a German, 17 years old, who left St. Louis for Deadwood November 3rd. Persons knowing anything concerning him will please communicate with William Schlerett, Oyster Saloon, Upper End of Gayville. $20 reward will be paid at the Cheyenne and Black Hills stage officer for a white metal Whistler pistol, lost between Deadwood and the Golden Terry Mine today, 27th, J.F. Gilner. To the traveling public, passengers going east via Sydney of Cheyenne should take the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad at Omaha, a first-class road. Coaches fully equipped with Westinghouse brakes, Miller platforms, and all the late improvements. Pullman, dining, and sleeping cars on all trains. Notice is hereby given that the tax list for the County of Lawrence for the year 1877 has been placed in my hands for collection. I can be found in my office in Adams Block on Sherman Street, South Dakota, to receive such taxes. 
all persons owing taxes for the year 1877, are reminded that they are now due, and must be paid, and parties are required to call and pay the same without delay. John Lawrence, County Treasurer. Thank you for reading that, Alex. My friend Alex read that Reader's Theater for us last minute. So thanks, Alex. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Has he been on this before? He read something for us before. Oh, okay. But I don't think he's been on the podcast yet. I'm not sure if he's been on any podcast. <gasps> yeah. Well, maybe no. you should try. Just, just in pre-recorded form. Yes. Yes. Invite him on down. Mm. I told him you should start watching Deadwood, but I don't think he's he's pretty busy. Oh, well, that's all right. Yeah, it's one hour every two weeks. Come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> come on. The water's fine. <laughs> He'd have to catch up at this point, though. <laughs> this is true. So that seemed like a combination of advertising, page six, and mm-hmm. like um, personal ads. Mm-hmm. What's oh, Tom and Jerry? Drink ch- Tom and Jerry. Is that yeah. rum? Yeah, it's a it's a mixed drink, isn't it? Yeah, it's like made with batter, isn't it? It's this mm. ar- this article is covered in oysters. Yeah, <laughs> I want oyster pie. I've never had such a thing. Tom and Jerry. I think they were still drinking Tom and Jerry's um, in the 1950s because yeah. I believe in the movie The Apartment. They talk about. Drinking Tom and Jerry. We're thinking about Sailor Jerry's, which is a rum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom and Jerry's is a warm drink of eggs, sugar, rum, brandy, and milk. Oh. Classic winter cocktail. Hmm. It's like an eggnog. Yeah. Yeah. But you can buy, like, Tom and Jerry's mix in um, liquor stores, and it's like a batter, and I guess you just blend it with rum. Oh, weird. Usually those things are pretty awful, but... (laughs) <laughs> well, those mixes that you get in the bottles store, usually they're not very good. Yeah, it's better homemade or made by someone that knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like a jar. I think you just whisk it in with whatever, or I, who knows? Whisk <laughs> <laughs> out for us. I'm looking, but I'm not really finding anything. Uh, I'm finding recipes, but... I'm not finding opinions as to whether or not the pre-made jar of spices is worth buying or not. Yeah. Cuz it can it can include sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg, vanilla, allspice. So you could either buy all these things separately or you could just buy it already made and Yeah. add the brandy and the rum. It does sound like a lot like eggnog though. Yeah, it mm. does sound a lot like somewhere between eggnog and a brandy alexander. Oh, I really want eggnog and rum right now. I wasn't aware it was anything other than a cat and a mouse cartoon. <laughs> yeah, same. And I've seen the apartment several times, so I've missed it, I guess. Unless I'm remembering it wrong, maybe it was just in the musical Promises, Promises, which was the musical version of the apartment. If anyone ever asks you what the temperature was in Deadwood, South Dakota, on November 28th, 1877, at noon, you can say four degrees. Better <laughs> them than us. I am going to apply to go on Jeopardy now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) With that bit of knowledge, I'm ready.
This is episode 21, Amalgamation and Capital, written by David Milch and Ted Mann, directed by Mark Tinker. Original air date, May 1st, 2005. It's morning at the Bullock household. William takes coffee because fuck Barry T, right? <laughs> William tells Seth about Robert, Seth's brother, how he'd sing, make his mother laugh, how he taught William duck calls. And as he's telling Seth all of this, Martha listens from the staircase. That's when Charlie interrupts camp business. I love that coffee is a part of a complete breakfast. And he gets three spoons of sugar for a third of a cup of coffee. Uh, that's a lot of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. William, would you like some pure sugar to begin your day? <laughs> but this kid, this kid kills me. And oh, I shouldn't have said kills me, but <laughs> damn it. Too oh, soon. It's adorable. I suppose I have time for you, Mr. Bullock. Like, he's such a little adult. It's great. <laughs> I love it. Like, I love them. I'm so sad. They Didn't they brew their coffee really strong back then? Maybe. I think they did, but I think Americans today are kind of the same way. They go into Starbucks or wherever, and they order a coffee, and it gets filled with so many sugars and additives and flavorings and syrups that it's... Yeah, it's too much. Like, barely coffee anymore, right? It's just dessert? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but they were... What I thought was interesting was that... um he was acting as though this is a formula for kids that you know the third of a cup of coffee and the rest milk and three spoons of sugar was was kind of what was expected to be given to kids it's like a recipe (laughs) like a recipe exactly and when he said about oh is that as good as your mom's or something like that and he said no my dad gave it to me i thought okay so this is probably the family recipe that he and his brother were both brought up with and his brother probably made it for the kid the same way. Would you give your child coffee? If I had a child? It's it's hard to compare ourselves to the people of 150 years ago. I just mean in general. Is that I know, a thing that I know one of my give their kid I know I mean kids kids get like soft drinks which contain sugar and caffeine. One of my nieces loves coffee, and I I think her parents did give it to her sometimes. And she's three, <laughs> so oh wow. Yeah. We don't drink coffee at my house, so that's a big no. But yeah. say carbonated beverages, Coke. I don't let my ten year old drink Coke. A sip now and then, but I don't like to caffeinate my children too much. No. <laughs> Alex loves coffee. Um. And I'm trying to remember when he started drinking coffee. You were 14 when you started drinking coffee, Matt. Yeah. Started drinking coffee at my grandfather's wake. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I was bored. <laughs> That's awful. I know. <laughs> I I don't like coffee. I don't drink coffee. So um, I'm not sure when Alex started drinking it because it would have been his grandmother um, who got him started on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I'm not quite sure when that happened. But yeah, the culture's totally different, so. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, why not? I think modern day, no, not a lot of children drink. Because well, now coffee. people know. People know right. that caffeine <laughs> is not great for kids, right? Yeah. It yeah. also depends on the culture. I mean, um. Sure. The, some years ago, um, when I was teaching sixth and seventh grade, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade um, kids, 
And a lot of the Latin kids would come in in the morning just buzzed. I mean, they yeah. would be bouncing off is, the walls. That is a part of their culture, yeah. Yeah, and I just, I literally was like, okay, what are you having for breakfast? And they were like, oh, big cup of coffee and this and that. I was like, cut the coffee in the morning. <laughs> just yeah. don't, don't do this to me in the morning because they yeah. would just be bouncing around the classroom and they couldn't sit down. I was like, no, you do not need caffeine in the morning. No. I really like this breakfast scene, mm. particularly when Martha comes upon the her son and Seth talking, but then doesn't intrude. She just wants to hear what they're saying, how they're interacting. And she sort of sits down on the step when she hears them talk about her, her husband, her mm-hmm. deceased husband. It's very sad and just nice. It's such a nice moment. Yeah. I what wonder- a dirty snoop. I wonder, <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if that would warm her up to Seth at all. Cause he's so good with William, right? Like, mm-hmm. Everyone I, seems to be good with William. Yeah, but I mean, like, he's, you know, it's not his kid. Like, it's, you know. It's his nephew. I mean. His nephew, yeah. But I mean, it's, he's treating him like, you know, he treats him like his own, you know. I think that happened a lot back then. Yeah. But, I w- mean, women very well decided to abandon him, you know. like it's, Right. It's nice that, you know, he's. I th- I thought it was very interesting when they said that his brother and i know that they talked about the history before but that his brother left when he was nine Mm. that was a long time ago i mean seth is not a spring chicken his brother must have been quite a bit older than he was yeah and uh so seth took on all this responsibility for a brother and left home looking for his brother and all of that for somebody he didn't really know at all. So he must have just been like this, the symbol for him growing up or something. Like a mythical figure. Yeah. Yeah. Am I the only one that looked at this scene as fairly calculated on Bullock's part? Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you think he knew she was there or something? Oh, you mean questions about the brother? Um... Given their last scene together, was that in um the last where she pretty much was like, get away from me. You don't need to pretend to like me or whatever. Yeah, was I think that was, was that the so was yeah. that in child? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I felt like I and I don't mean in a bad way, but I think he really internalized that and said, I need to be in this family or be out of it. And so he's trying harder. I felt like he was trying to to get to know the boy better, but he's been trying all along. You know, he, he's made overtures to the kid and and everything. Um, I almost felt like it could be the opposite that he's not going to have a relationship with the mother, mm. but he can have a relationship with the boy, or he could use the boy as a way to get closer to the mother he gets to know what the father was like then he gets to know what she fell in love with do you know what i mean i'm not does he really i don't know if he's that calculating i'm not saying he is well i think i think mel is close because he's he's getting information about his brother and how he used to make her laugh and he Mm. would sing yes 
and teach teach uh, William Duck calls, and he's just. And okay. when I yeah, when I say calculated, I don't mean it in a yeah nefarious cold way. way. Yes, I mean it in a okay. Well, this is how she feels, and I want harmony in this house. I want to make this work. So here's some steps yeah. to get there. Well, yeah. I could see him wanting to know about his brother. You know, just yes. I mean, on a whole nother level, having nothing to do with her or the boy or anything. Just wanting to know about his brother because. Obviously, he must have had felt this huge connection to this person that wasn't there in order to go out of his way to try and find him, find his widow, marry his widow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so being able to hear about his brother through his brother's son, who would obviously give him happy thoughts about him and stuff. I could see him wanting to do that just independently of everything. But at the same time, I'm not sure whether he cares enough about her. Not in a bad way, just, I mean, they don't know each other. No. And if, you know, it's not like he's in love with her or something and wants, but, you know, I mean, I could see him, I could see the two of them having a perfectly harmonious relationship without ever being intimate again and him being just friends with you know like a father to the boy and you know all of that i i don't know it wouldn't be very fulfilling but then again marriages in those days were not always all that fulfilling right and this is a good example of one that quite possibly wouldn't be because it was an obligation yeah it, i mean a lot of them were were contracts they were done for business reasons and because a woman and a child just needed a man exactly just that's how it was that's kind of what i meant by business too so I here's mean. the solution seth and alma get together martha and ellsworth get together oh ah there you go i like it so yeah that works i guess except that seth and martha married yeah can she get divorced she probably wouldn't. Is that a to. thing? She can. I mean, there are, you know. You would have probably had to prove if there was, like, infidelities or something, though. Yeah, I'm sure there were lots of hoops they would have had to. I think to. they could do that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's a, they there's actually a baby. Could, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, it would probably be unpleasant and, and. Aw, why, why wasn't there a Mori Povich back in the- <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> then they probably would have had to, you know, drag somebody's name through the mud mm. um, in order to get divorced. But uh, they probably could have done it. E.B. knocks at Al's door. He's still suffering that toothache. Al wants E.B. to spy on Blazanov and intercept any messages between Yankton and Deadwood. E.B. is very fond of Russians and delighted to be of service. <laughs> is, is Al serious? S- yeah. Because E.B. Being sar- is seriously the worst at, like, reconnaissance. He's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and is he being sarcastic about liking Russians? or <laughs> Like, do they, does, do anyone, does anyone here have th- things against Russians? Because I know they had things against, what was it, squareheads or something? Whoa. They, you know, everybody had 
everybody pigeonholed everybody into you know different that's that confused me like uh like so it seems like even other white people are disparaged like it's not just black people or oh yeah native. foreigners so, like, so where is it okay to come from because i'm sure at this point <laughs> I'm sure at this point in history, homogenous. For <laughs> I'm sure at this point in history, like all the people in this town, probably their parents even came over from somewhere. Like, yeah. where is it acceptable to have come from? Usually, wherever I am from, it's okay for you to have come from, and <laughs> anybody else we can disparage together. So maybe the the Russian feels the same way. He's like, "You're not from Russia? Fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> You know, it it was a very it was a very bigoted time. No one ever called racism logical. No, no. Well, Not some people might, but there's That's probably true. some sort of scientific reason for it. But what for racism? Yes. You know, there's the us like, and the like, them. And yeah, people- and the thing that don't doesn't look like you doesn't really belong, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right? You you should yeah. you don't trust things that you don't know. Which can be used against people who are different in every single way possible. Yep. It's, you know, it's like, you know, the shark, the shark circling. You pick a target and we're us and now that's them. And, yeah. And it doesn't matter, doesn't you know, what you pick. Yeah, it doesn't you know. take much to hate someone. <laughs> yeah. Look, this guy is dressed funny. All the rest of us, even though we're all different shades and religions and everything else we dress the same so let's get him yeah yeah but getting back to the original question i don't think that eb is particularly fond of russians so much as he is very fond of agreeing with whatever else says mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i i immediately thought hey eb's back in al's good graces you know because he was kind of on the outs there for a little while i don't know didn't al kind of kick him out this episode too he's like get in my face <laughs> yeah yeah, I don't know if he's totally in Al's ever. I don't know if he was totally ever in Al's good graces. No, I was talking about it from EB's point of view. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, he's not left out anymore. Yeah, you're giving me something to do. This is great. I love this job. I want to do this job. It is a bit strange, though, that Al keeps this guy around. Like, trust him with getting in Blazanov's good graces. When he's failed with uh, Wolcott and Alma and all the rest. But he usually does get some kind of information. You know, it's like people don't like him, but he does manage to get information. And uh, and Al, Al knows what he's getting when he gets to, when he uses this guy. He knows him well enough to know exactly what direction the guy's going to jump in. And Silas is probably still in the doghouse for... Falling in with Alice. We haven't even seen Silas for a while, have we? No. No. I mean, it's only a couple days in their terms, but... Right. At the Bella Union, Tess comes downstairs. She's to collect more money for Moe's, a.k.a. Fat Boy, so that he can look at it while he fucks her. Sai wants Moe's to come downstairs himself, so he might spend some of that money on one of their games of chance. This is when Seth and Charlie enter. Turns out the camp business is speaking to Moe's about Moses' brother being shot, you know, during the big bicycle hoo-ha. Hoo-ha? <laughs> 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 okay, so I understood that correctly. He got turned on by looking at stacks of money. 
So I guess. Yeah, I guess. He's using them in his loot axe. That's what I got out of it, too. This, did anybody else get something else? No. Also, was it this scene where we found out that Side takes $8 out of every 9 the girls earn? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's fair. Yeah, that sounds about right. He takes 90%. Because he said $90 out of the $100 that she would get for going up there. and So he takes like 90%. But does that include the food, shelter, medical care? (laughs) (laughs) They may have to pay for that. You think they pay for themselves? Sure hope not. I have no idea. Cy probably pays for all that. Yeah, I can't imagine, even though... It's yeah. terrible. I I would That's imagine true. room and board and food is... I'm sure. But I'm sure he charges them for booze and such. and I'm sure they're in debt all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do mm-hmm. We were counting scenes inside of saloons. This is the first one. Oh, right. Yeah. There's some awkwardness between Alma and Ellsworth as she signs documents. The full mm. picture. A coach from Denver is arriving. There's a safe inside the coach and currency inside the safe, and it's to be placed inside the bank that they're going to build. And if there's nothing else, Elma runs away and vomits. She I is, thought that was her most beautiful dress so far. She is. She does she look she lovely. Does. Yes. Well, it's, it's ruined now, so. <laughs> no, I think she's pretty good at throwing up by this point. <laughs> You've never, never seen it. You don't know. <laughs> Plus, it's the morning stuff. They're, it's the empty stomach. Hmm. Uh, morning sickness, so not a lot comes up. No. Mm-hmm. Hasn't she worn that red dress before? Yeah, it's the I first think... time I don't know noticed it, and it might have been the necklace combo. I don't know. I just thought she looked fetching. Yeah, I think she's worn it before, but <laughs> she always looks great. Mm-hmm. Unlike um, Martha. <laughs> I wonder where she gets her clothes made, considering she's always in that hotel room, and maybe she has the seamstresses come to her, which would be. Uh, not unusual, but she must be shipping in that fabric from Chicago or someplace. Anyway. Yeah. Maybe it's like a Disney movie and she gets dressed by little birds. <laughs> little mice are sewing them right now. Yeah. <laughs> Weaving the fabric. <laughs> Jane has been sleeping outside the Chazami keeping watch. Should Wolcott return? Joni says, come on in, but Jane seems reluctant. She yeah. had a lot of loogies to hook up. Yeah. I was wondering why she was so reluctant to go in. I don't know. I think she's reluctant to go into nice places. Yeah, I think it was a little nice. She's reluctant to have people help her at all. Yeah, and she's not feeling great about herself. Mm hmm. And she's basically kind of shy, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm fucking shy! (laughs) I think think she's a little awkward next to a lady, a refined lady, also. Mm -hmm. Though no one else. Would call Joni a lady. Like if Joni went to New York, she would I be agree. a lady. <laughs> but you know what I mean. But he, but here's but yeah, from Jane's perspective, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Jane's perspective, you know, she's, you know, she's kind of. I mean, she's not Alma, but she's very, as you say, she's very refined. She's very put together. She's womanly. Across the way at the livery, General Fields struggles with a wild horse. The horse escaped the Sioux, and Fields roped him in a box canyon. His plan is to castrate the horse and sell him to the cavalry for $100. Hostetler says he can nut him, but not until the moon is right. But Fields doesn't want to wait. Why does the moon have to be right? 
Yeah. Superstition, that's yeah. why. Mm-hmm. I looked this up, this whole castrating animals and moon signs and so forth. And yeah. So here's a, here's a little excerpt from an article that I found. Throughout human history, many people have believed that it's best to conduct tasks when the moon is in the most favorable position, says Farmer's Almanac Managing Editor Sandy Duncan. The Farmer's Almanac's Best Days calendar is based on many formulas that take the moon's place in the zodiac as well as its phase into consideration. Though the results are not guaranteed, many people <laughs> swear they get better results when using the moon as a guide. Sure. Although, yeah. Although it is always best to schedule surgery as based on the advice of your doctor or veterinarian, many people look to the almanac as a way to pick that perfect date. Some horse owners swear by practicing castration of a horse when the signs are in their legs or going down because the animal will always bleed more when the sign is closest to the heart. So how do you know when the sign is in the legs or in their heart? The 12 signs of the zodiac correspond to different parts of the body. For example, if the date corresponds to the sign of cancer, it is said that the sign would be in the heart. If the sign was in Pisces, it would be in the feet. Castration is done in the signs of Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces, thighs, knees, legs, and feet. This is believed to reduce infection and chances of hemorrhaging. It is recommended to operate when the sign is in the part of the body that is the opposite to the location where it will be operated. If anyone is looking to castrate an animal soon, you have from November 15th to the 20th. But if you miss this window, guys, you're going to have to wait till December 9th to to castrate that animal. (laughs) Oh, I know what I'm doing next week. (laughs) This week. Next week, no. First week of December, no. No, that's what I meant. This week. Okay. All right. Sorry, I'm French. My kitty cat's already (laughs) taken care of, so. And I'm not going to do anything to Alex. (laughs) Well, thank goodness. (laughs) Uh, Police. uh, This woman's going to castrate her son. (laughs) No, I'm not. I said I wasn't. (laughs) You're always twisting my words. There's obviously, there's no connection between the moon and this bullshit. But it but. says so right in the book. Right in the almanac. Right. You know what? It's probably like full moon, you get better lighting, so you can... <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what it is. It, you know, it might every, be. Everything yeah. that's written in a book is true. <laughs> the we moon phases do affect the tides. This is true. But they don't affect tides in the body. In any Some people way. will still disagree with you. I'm yeah, not you saying are I do. Such a rebel, Matthew. <laughs> such a rebel. Science says no. <laughs> <laughs> Battling books. Because I found a, a an article about moon myths uh, on a science website, and it goes through all the different kind of theories, and they talk about how you know, like. Even my parents used to say, oh, full moon, the kids are crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, when the moon is out, people go kooky. And mm-hmm. others just say, well, when there's more light, people stay up later and there's sleep deprivation and people take risks because they think they can see outside and they have accidents. And Yeah. Which does make a case for people being kind of crazy when the full moon. Yeah, but it but that has nothing to do with tides. Yeah, it's just related to it's just circumstantial, right? I mean, people are basically people are crazy all the time. It's just that 
<laughs> when there's a full moon out, they actually go and do stuff. So yes, but they probably go extra crazy because they can. I can see what I'm doing. Ah! It is pretty cool when the moon is out full and it's you know probably walking through in the... a good mood and they get too hyper and too excited and they do stupid stuff. So yeah, a clear night with the full moon. It's kind of cool. There's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you see something crazy and you see that the moon is full, you connect the two, whereas when the moon is not full and something crazy happens, you don't that you know, you don't make that connection to the moon at that point. Well, it's of very course, one, it's a very it's... one-sided kind of There's got to be another reason. Silly boy. Stupid logic. Science. <laughs> All right. At the gym, Johnny has taken a shine to one of the whores and is teaching her letters. This, that was so sweet. <laughs> this whore's name, by the way, is Jen. Al reads aloud the rumors planted in the Pioneer. The Black Hills may be annexed by Montana or Wyoming, or perhaps Washington, D.C. will make the hills its own territory or state. With Deadwood as the headquarters, Johnny adds. Al says, no, Johnny, don't get ahead of yourself. I Part of me wanted to see what letters Johnny was identifying. I just had this awful feeling that he was giving her totally wrong information. I didn't understand the whole thing about uh, Al being mad at newspaper guy. Newspaper guy didn't know how to lie as well as Al did. What was wrong with his lies? I didn't really understand. He overdid it. Too exaggerated. Too exaggerated. He has a metaphor, a chef metaphor, well, you sprinkle a little bit of the truth so the falsehoods don't overwhelm your palate. Ah. Yeah. So I, I thought that was hysterical that Al was having to teach the newspaper man how to lie. He just didn't have the right finesse. Yep. He thought it would tip off Yankton that it's all untrue that Montana was... that. that all he wanted was Montana to be like in the mix, like the rumor yeah. that there's... Not not all this other stuff. It's so it's too exaggerated. They're yeah. not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, way over the top. Mm-hmm. This is our second scene inside of a saloon. Damn it! <laughs> Merrick is printing a hundred extra copies of today's edition. Merrick wants to ambulate, but Blazanov doesn't want to leave his apparatus. I thought that was hysterical too. <laughs> Alice has a telegram to send. E.B. tries to see what she's writing on her form, and we get a very bad 80-yard line of her saying, fuck off. Does he just, like, uh, go in a bucket, or, like, what's he do for bathroom breaks? (laughs) (laughs) Does he have a bucket beside his apparatus? And is he sleeping next to it? He must have have off hours where he he just, nobody tries to contact him, because they'll know he's sleeping or something. Uh, Can it be, like, disassembled? So that no one can use it, but he only he knows how to put it back together. But it says it takes him so long that he can't just take it apart and go out for five minutes for a cigarette break and then come back. I, well, I think he's that... more worried about missing a message. That yeah, exactly. That's the problem, is that if he goes away, it's not like the messages are recorded or anything. Somebody sends a message through. If there's nobody there to get it, it's just gone. And the person at the other end doesn't necessarily... I mean, unless there's... I guess they ha- they're supposed to answer to say that to acknowledge receipt. Yeah, so I guess the person on the other end should just keep 
sending it until until they get an acknowledgement. Mm. But I guess that could really make the person at the other end annoyed with them. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe he does have a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> and a cot and a pillow. Merrick boasts that he's printing more copies of the Pioneer, but El disapproves of the annexation article because it's too outrageous to believe. He wanted Yankton to think Montana was considering annexing the hills, not Montana, Wyoming, Washington, D.C., Mexico, and France. <laughs> Dan wishes the ball scores were a little more prompt. What ball scores are these? Be- baseball? The baseball match. Yeah, from Deadwood or from across the, c- the country? From, ac- from across the country. Okay. Yeah. Old-timey baseball. Yeah. This is not the first time Dan has wished that he had baseball scores. <laughs> oh. Um. Do we know where Dan is from? No, I don't think we do. Okay. I think W.R.O. Brown is from Kentucky. I just listened to a podcast with him on it, and it was spoiler-free, so hmm. track that down. I think it's called The New Hollywood, hmm. and it was really great. Great okay. stuff. Oh, I've heard about The New Hollywood. Yeah. He talked about his you know, early career and just his uh, philosophy regarding acting. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I saw W. Earl Brown in a movie recently. Uh, wild, wild. He played like a, a like a a guy that you think is going to be real gross, but he's actually, actually kind of nice. He's pretty sweet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's and, the uh, Reese Witherspoon backpacking movie. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I turned it on uh, just by happenstance, and it was a scene where she goes into like a department store or something, and she's mm-hmm. like trying on lipstick, and then the lady's like. You know what? You should really take care of your hygiene. And she's like, "Yeah, I plan to." And the woman's like, "No, you really should do it now." Or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah. Ellsworth delivers Alma's letter. EB reports to Al that the cunt with the long crap moniker told him to fuck off, which is odd for a tutor, isn't it? <laughs> uh, EB behind the curve here. Uh Yeah. Al wants both the tutor and the telegraph operator summoned to his office. You were going to say something about Al's hair. I was saying, is it just me or is Al's hair really long? It looks like he's got Lovejoy hair. (laughs) I didn't notice. (laughs) It's so mullety. It's very mullety in this episode. I was like, Lovejoy? (laughs) (laughs) Is that you? Is that you? (laughs) (laughs) Where's your truck and your leather jacket? (laughs) (laughs) Aw, I wish he had an antique dealership inside the <laughs> that he visited every week. Yes. No, it would be just better if he was gradually turning the gem into an antique shop. And like every episode, there was just like more and more just like random furniture and like knickknacks and things. Like I love it just it. they just didn't acknowledge it, but it was like every episode, there's like a couple more pieces of furniture. I think that drive Al crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to get a, a full-length mirror. <laughs> I'm going to count this as a third scene inside of a saloon. Isn't it the same scene as before? The first scene felt like Al talking to Dan and Johnny, and then the second scene was after Merrick appeared, and he was talking to Merrick, and that's when Ellsworth showed up. It, it felt divided. Okay. So I was going to count it as three. So we're up to three now. Okay. 
William is planting sunflower seeds he saved from Fort Quitman. He thought that since his father liked sunflowers, maybe Mr. Bullock would like them too. And he wants to take lunch to Mr. Bullock at the hardware store. Martha is very pleased to see her son forming a bond with her replacement husband. That was very sweet. Yes, it was. And ominous. Yeah. And and I could see a kid doing that, absolutely. Especially um, maybe a child trying to get approval of uh, the new man of the house. Mm-hmm. And I mean the fact that it's his uncle as well. Yeah. And I just want to say this kid is too much. What I love this mean? kid. And I want to say that is the moment where I was like, that kid's going to die, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but I was like, he's too sweet. It was just melting my heart, all these scenes with him in it. I was like, oh. I was wondering why he was planting them right against the house. Are you supposed to do that? Like, that I, was, I did. It looked like it was in the shade. Yeah, I was like, there's no sun there. <laughs> <laughs> and those get huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. it might have been that that way they could tie him up against the the house. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, it might have southern exposure or something, you know. I don't know. But it was weird for him to be prolonging that. I, I did uh, not notice the location. I, I must have been just, like, going with the story, because I didn't even think about him dying or anything. Is that, like, TV shorthand? Like, they're talking about sunflower seeds, it means he's gonna die! <laughs> and FYI, the kid's skipping ahead, but we don't know if he's dead or not. He sure could be. Good. He could be dead. He could be paralyzed. He could be uh, just severely injured, or maybe it's just a scratch and he's on his back. Something's <laughs> looking, bad. Looking up at the clouds because there's a lot of talk about clouds being towed by bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> Judging from the music, it's bad. Okay. Yeah, I mean, once that music started, like way before that, it was like, okay, something. They're really setting us up. But yeah, I wrote that down. Something bad yeah. is going to happen. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Mm. Like, they were really signaling that one without, they were not being subtle at all. You know TV too well. Yeah, tension was really being built up this this particular episode. Mm. Yeah. Mose eats breakfast and tells Seth and Charlie that his brother getting shot was an accident. Gut shot by his own hand. Seth wants to see the gun and the brother's remains. Too bad they're both buried in a secret place. I did not want to watch this, like, Uh. disgusting guy eat... Oh, He's just man, so that was gross. Nasty. <laughs> mm. Wolcott also has a death to report. The Cornishman that we saw being shot in the back in the previous episode. Charlie scoffs. It's all just amalgamation and capital to you, ain't it? <laughs> oh, are you a student of, of Hume, Smith, and Marx? <laughs> you shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. No, he doesn't. No, no idea. Seth has to drag Charlie out of the belly union. Scene number four inside a saloon. I felt bad for Charlie. He's having such a rough time. Mm -hmm. He's just, like, not handling these situations well at all. No. You know, I'd forgotten about him getting the Hickok letter. And then once he started talking about that, I was like, oh, of course. You know, between the guy having murdered three people and him having given Charlie the Hickok letter. No wonder Charlie is in such a state. <laughs> I like when he tells Cy, quiet you. <laughs> <laughs> quiet you. <laughs> yeah, Charlie is upset, so he starts stealing vegetables. <laughs> That's what I thought, but then he, I think he paid for them. At he the did. End. He put a he coin did. down. He, he paid for them. 
Yeah. And he apologized to the guy for, you know, it was just kind of mindlessly shuffling through produce. Yeah. <laughs> produce is to Charlie what antlers are to Richardson. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Except I don't think Richardson ever paid for those antlers. <laughs> no, probably not. Was It was Alma that took the antlers. Yeah, it was Alma that took them. But she, it, she's but, the klepto. Oh, and I think that's why he's obsessed with them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. But she did say to return them. She, uh... He's like, nope. <laughs> no, I'm keeping these. Ooh, antlers. <laughs> What's his name again? Richardson. Richardson. It's oh. Richardson time. Yeah. Charlie says people with money can buy everyone and do whatever they want, and now Bill's missus has to handle the letter that that cocksucker, Mr. Amalgamation and Capital, touched. Uh, Charlie doesn't know what Amalgamation and Capital means, but some East Coast reporter told Bill that that is what is changing things in America. Mm-hmm. Also, what's going to become of Jane? Yeah, he's got a lot on his mind. He's, he's, he's got a lot of people he cares about. A wild Bill was kind of their glue. And now they're kind of reshuffling and trying to make life work again without him. Even is the impression I get. Yeah, but even at the end there, Wild Bill had Charlie was having such a problem with Wild Bill that I don't know. Maybe that's just Charlie's personality. You know, he's always trying to take care of people that that are that don't want to be taken care of, but really need being taken care of. Maybe. From her hotel room, Alma sees Martha and William bringing Seth's lunch, and then the coach from Denver arrives with her safe on board. Joni starts to clean up the glass from the night before when she slammed a bottle of Basil Hayden's bourbon, official whiskey of Hooplecast, against Mr. W's face. <laughs> Jane supposes Joni will restock and reopen, but Joni isn't sure. She wants Jane to stay, though. Roomies. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think will become of this building? Do you think she'll reopen? or? I think she'll reopen as something else. Yeah, maybe just really maybe hard just, to say. She'll sell maybe, cupcakes, maybe. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe just a regular salute. She could still keep the name Chez Amis. She's Ami's cupcakes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems logical that she would reopen as a brothel, but, you know, you definitely got the feeling that maybe she's trying to come up with something else. Mm-hmm. You know, something. <laughs> yeah, a cupcake store. <laughs> well, she could, you know, I, if she knows how to cook or knows somebody who knows how to cook lord knows the place could use a different restaurant something not as poisonous as eb's restaurant yeah yeah a restaurant would be good and not and not as gross and yeah one that that doesn't serve rancid bacon yeah and one where you don't have to talk to eb yeah (laughs) really big line guys she opens she opens the oyster bay Oh. (laughs) oh there you go yeah. Go there for those uh, stewed, fried, broiled, and rod oysters. Also, uh, Tom and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> to wash it down with. <laughs> wash those oysters down. Yeah. 
<laughs> With some pancake batter. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, if she could, if she could find some. You know, like get together with Trixie as the the manager or the you know the bookkeeper, and find some other women who didn't want to be prostitutes anymore, who knew how to cook and wait tables. They could have quite a a thing there, you know. It's flirting with the guys, making them feel good, serving them food, and bum rushing them out. She could open like a. Oh, you know, like a strip club kind of a thing. Oh, that too. That too. Burlesque house? Yeah, burlesque. That's it. Get some ladies in there that can do the (laughs) can-can. That's an idea. I thought more of like a Joni Stubbs' home for wayward girls. (laughs) For gifted gifted youngsters. (laughs) Kind of like a facts of life scenario. (laughs) Where she's Mrs. Garrett. (laughs) There used to be, all of a sudden, I remember there used to be a restaurant or some restaurants or something out west that would hire, uh, would hire women, like they had to be a certain age and they would dress in a certain way and all this stuff and they would, you know, they were, I'm trying to remember, it was, there was a whole thing and they were called like the, you know, Blakey girls or something. And, and it was like Blakey's restaurant or something like that. I read this whole thing about it. And there's these pictures of this long line of girls who were all dressed exactly like, and kind of looked alike. It was just really weird. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it had to do with the railroad or something. It was like stops along the railroad. I guess like the original Stuckies or something. Mm. I don't know. If you find that, would you post it on the Facebook group? Yeah, it was a long time ago. I'll take a look and see if I can find it. Charlie has been looking for Jane in all the usual spots, but she's been at the whorehouse looking after that woman. Now she's fixing to move in. Charlie was looking for Jane because he wanted to say goodbye, although he's made a decision not to tell her his destination. This is a fantastic scene, and I've boiled it down to, like, the bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you, if he told her, yeah, she'd what, she'd want to go with or. I think if she knew that there was a letter, then she'd want to know where it came from. And Lord knows what Jane would do about, you know, with this information. Mm. It's like a scab that Charlie doesn't want to pick at. Yeah, it might. Yeah. Tailspinner again. Uh-huh. Oh, I would think it would. Yeah. Especially if she found out that it was, you know, the guy who had murdered these these women that you know she was trying to keep away from Joni and yeah that would have it would be real bad for her I love how they push each other's buttons she does most of the button pushing but it's pretty <laughs> great <laughs> their relationship you know it it ebbs and flows but it always ends up in this very um, like aggressive confrontational relationship that's all about the two of them caring about each other. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's great. Yeah, it is like brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. 
At the hardware store, William is helping Trixie with her numbers. Ellsworth, Seth, and Saul are bringing in the safe. Martha wonders if Alma, as the bank's chief backer, would wish to be present. Everyone is stunned by this, for lack of a better phrase, olive branch that Martha is offering. Uh, so, wasn't Trixie, like an episode or two ago, weren't they trusting Trixie to do actual books? And she doesn't know 3 plus 3 equals 6? Well, she does. She just likes to write 9 down. <laughs> that's a, that's a yes. lie, though. <laughs> yeah, it would be a nightmare. You'd have to go through everything she did. Because I thought she was working on, like, actual w- work unsupervised, like, just recently. Like, she had progressed that far, but now we've learned she doesn't know 3 plus 3 equals. Uh, she, yeah, I'm sure I, she does, but she makes a lot of mistakes. Yeah, I'm not sure that like, she was really working on... You know, I mean, she may be working on the books, but I'm not sure that... They're not official books. Yeah. Or that they're not gone over by Saul after closing or something. Well, at, at the time, Saul was laid up because he'd just been shot. And right. he was like that way for a couple episodes. So I, I imagine when he got up and could look at her work, he checked her work. and Yeah. I'm, I'm and sure then he cried, and he did it all over, and it took him a week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that might may have been why she was so pissed off at him too, like the other episodes, because he kept saying, "No, this isn't right. This is wrong. This is wrong." And mm. she probably got frustrated with herself for getting all those things wrong. Progress seems to be slow going. <laughs> yes. Well. <laughs> well, she does all the books, and then he goes back like late at night and opens up, and then works like. In, in the wee hours of the morning, fixing all of her mistakes. And then he closes again. And then, then in the morning, like an hour later, he goes back and, well, oh, I had a terrible night's sleep because <laughs> he looks so tired. She's killing it. She, does, she doesn't know that he was there all night. <laughs> Working a double shift just to fix her mistakes. Uh, but he gets something out of it, too. Did he have any lines in this episode? That's a good uh, question. I don't he, remember any. He did. Oh, in in this scene, didn't he? Or did he? I don't know. He doesn't talk that much. Mm, I know that when they were having lunch, he does say, oh, wonderful. That's true. Ellsworth leaves the hardware store and Trixie runs after him. She wants to know if he proposed and did the la- how did the lady incline... Was the proposal enthusiastic or glum-like? And when Ellsworth admits that he doesn't know, but the proposal was sincere, Trixie becomes anointed Alma for her delay in responding. Like, what's her deal? This was a pretty delightful exchange. When are you two crazy kids going to get together? <laughs> <laughs> I've done my part. I got you together. Now what are you waiting for? It was like two girlfriends. Now, how exactly did he say it? <laughs> <laughs> You know, in like 1800s talk. Yes. (laughs) Alma confessed to Al in her letter that she lost her temper and confronted Alice in the hotel. And if Alma knew that Alice was a Pinkerton, then Al must have told her. And that's why Alice was wiring her bosses to let them know that it wasn't smart to draft any documents laying out their plan to fuck over Alma. So since everyone knows everything, Al just lays it out and says, I'm not going to screw over my long-term interests. By letting Pinkerton Shithill steal the Garrett claim. So he he tells all this to Alice and says, I'm not going to switch allegiances, but maybe you will for $5,000. Yeah. 
when yeah. Alice consents. She says she'll and take we- the money and she'll leave the camp. She wants the sheriff as an escort. This this part, this whole thing kind of confused me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this in the newspaper thing it confused me. Yeah, yeah, and I just did a pretty piss poor job explaining it. I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. I don't really more, care that much about it, anyways. It's a little bit more clear when you said it. <laughs> yeah, the kicker was not so much the five thousand dollars, but five thousand dollars, and I won't kill you. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I think the the crux of it is that Alma tipped their hand. They were gonna kind of yeah, um, blackmail Alice, but now they can't because they've kind of given it all away, given the game away. Yeah. When she went into her room, it mm-hmm. all huffy like yeah. Oh. But she's smart enough to uh, let Al know. Right. And when she's more clear-headed, she sends that letter. Yeah. Ellsworth delivers it. And then Al confronts Isinghausen. And, uh... I got really he, confused on what was going on here. He basically was like, okay, so you know what's going on, and you've sent um, your boss's word that I'm not in your pocket after all. And these are the reasons I'm not going to get into your pocket and I'm not going to betray Garrett. But uh, I think there's a good reason for you to betray your boss. Oh, okay. I thought he was going to betray. Um, I thought he was, what's the word? Going to betray her, Alma. No, he's. he okay, was telling, he was explaining the reasons why he wasn't going to betray her because betraying her would be against his best interests it would it would give hearst the in-laws would just sell to hearst and he's trying to keep hearst from getting any more properties so he would be um cutting his own throat by by betraying alma and so he's saying i'm not going to do that but you have good reason to betray your bosses, and she says, "What? What are my good reasons?" And he says, five thousand dollars, and you stay alive, mm. or something to that effect." At which point she's like, "Okay, is the five thousand dollars? Can I see it? Is it right here?" And he just pulls it out and says, "Yeah." Okay, good. Interesting uh, that she wants the sheriff to escort her out of town. Like, right? I'm sure it's not uncommon back then or even nowadays for sheriff to be corrupt like seth could be working with al and just could Mm -hmm. murder her for al Mm, that's true but she's figured out she's been around long enough to has she met seth i don't know if she has yeah she used to exit from uh is it from uh alma's take sophia when seth and alma were doing their stuff i'm sure she I'm sure she was around plenty of times when Seth perhaps uh, perhaps she should have asked for the deputy to escort her since she knows that the sheriff and Alma were a, you know, a couple, and everything she's done in camp has been against Alma, yeah, but I mean she's been around camp, and I'm sure that you know Seth has got a it's a small group of people, Seth has got a reputation. Um, yeah, he's a stand-up guy, but also, yeah. you know, he was 
he was deeply in love with Alma and she was going to hurt Alma. I, even good, good guys can, can do bad things. Seems kind of risky. She should have, I think she, she would have been better off asking for Charlie to take that yeah. camp. But why, Charlie, ch- why chance it? Yeah, but Charlie isn't as uh, imposing as Seth. Well, that's true. And uh, and though you're absolutely right that she was doing things against Alma, um, it's not like any of it came to fruition. She she's signing something that she doesn't want to know Seth to know what she's signing, but she's signing something to let Alma off the hook and she, and you know, getting out of town. So and she was, and she was just an employee doing her job. Right. No hard feelings. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I just took it as being that Seth has a real strong reputation. And they said on the commentaries that they had to write Sarah Paulson out of the show because she had uh, an opportunity to star in The Glass Menagerie on Broadway. Oh. So Hmm. they – I think they accelerated her arc a little bit. So it kind of feels – it kind of feels like it's over anyway. Yeah. I mean they could have done more like kept her around and rehabilitated her and have Silas and maybe she – began to began to work with Al like I could see where stories could go for her but this is just as yeah a good adequate. time to say goodbye anyway Sarah Paulson uh, is on American Horror Story uh right now as she's been for the last couple seasons but this season she's playing like a junkie whore mm-hmm. <laughs> it's super weird seeing her in that get up yeah I still need to catch up with this season I it's I started to watch the show in the first season and I was like, you know, there's a reason why they call it American Horror Story. It really isn't is a horror story, and I don't like horror, so I'm not going to watch this anymore. Mm-hmm. But. This season's awful. <laughs> is it? I it is really bad. Mm-hmm. I've heard weird things about it. I and I don't think there has been a good season, but this is a really bad one. Yeah, it's not my favorite show, but I always watch it. Although I haven't yeah. seen the second one yet. It's uh, it's always interesting. It's all, you know, yeah. I don't never... think it's really good. I don't no. think it's really well done. A lot of people seem to. I don't agree. I just wish some of my favorite writers would not write horror. I mean, I don't care if they write horror. I just wish they would write other stuff, too, <laughs> so that I could watch more of it and enjoy it more. Because I just don't like horror. Hmm. I like it if it's done right, and this is definitely not done right. But I like a lot of the performers, and it's kind of interesting to see what what they do. Yeah, the, you know. the, they've got some really wonderful people on it. So. Dan has Blazanoff in a room at the gym. Blazanoff won't betray the confidence of his messages. He is a person whose parents have been murdered and he has no family or feeling. The only thing he has is his messages and he hopes his feet to the fire will not change him. That was the strangest pairing. That was even stranger than than like Jane and Joni. Well, Dan is Mr. Intimidation and we have this telegraph operator who's kind of, you know, nerdy like Merrick's nerdy. But he's saying, you know what? On this, I will not 
bend and I will not break. Has he ever been tor- tortured, though? <laughs> His parents have died, but has he been tortured? He's Russian. They're staunch. <laughs> <laughs> they still feel pain. Russian in the 1870s. I was trying to think what... I mean, there wasn't really a good time in Russian history. So. <laughs> they all, wrestle, they all yeah. wrestle bears. Yeah. <laughs> Depending uh, on who you were. Just, I was just reading an article about Putin's motorcycle gang. It's just... <laughs> Amazing. I want to see uh, the article. Oh my goodness. And these are not people you want to meet. <laughs> no. Post no. that article in the chat. I want to read it. Oh my goodness. Although this scene is te- technically inside of a saloon, since this room is not within sight of the bar, I'm not going to count it. Yeah, it's like in the storage room or something, isn't it? It's off to the side. I think it might be the room where the Reverend died. Uh, Don't you think? Maybe. Maybe. It's one of these side rooms. Tom Nuttall, unshook by the bone shaker, has come to the hardware store seeking information from Seth about the shooting at his saloon. The brother-on-brother. The latest incident of violence. Rest in peace, Slippery Dan. Or is it Bummer Dan? Oh yeah, that's like three people have died in this bar. (laughs) It was one of the Dans. Anyway, I I can't keep them straight. The bone shaker thing. What did they make a big deal of calling it the bone shaker last episode? I thought that was just you informing us afterwards that it was the bone shaker. No, they, they called it that, didn't they? Yeah. yeah I thought they just made like casual mention of it. Mostly called it a bicycle, didn't they? Uh, yeah. I was just wondering, like, if I if if I had just been watching this without doing this podcast, I probably in the scene I probably would have been like, "What the hell's a bone shaker?" <laughs> Well, in this scene, they say Bone Shaker twice. I know. William says, how's the Bone Shaker? Then later on, he asks for assistance in calibrating the Bone Shaker. Yeah. The the handlebars. So that would have given you a clue. Yeah. And in the previous episode, Tom says, this is the gent's Bone Shaker model. And William says later, they call that type Bone Shaking, sir. And Tom says, they do for a mortal truth. <laughs> so we've heard the term bone shaker four times now. All right. And that was bone shaker count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are dying in the number 10 saloon. Yep. This would be number three. Seth can't do anything about this particular shooting. No witnesses. Eh, feels kind of like lazy sheriffing again. It's Deadwood after all. Well, it's not like they had forensics. Or something that they could do, go with. I mean, could have tried to bring him up on charges and in front of a judge, and it would have been him saying, "This doesn't sound. This sounds fishy." Yeah, William is going to help Tom calibrate the handlebars of his velocipede. I loved the recounting of the bike ride. He acted like he was uh, recounting, like. Gunning down a lion in the savannah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have done. He's reveling in his bicycle. Yes, there was so much exploits. triumph. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was really enjoying his moment in the sun. His, yeah. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is 15 minutes. Yeah. He'll probably never do anything bigger the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> His, his triumphant moment was just riding a bicycle. I know. <laughs> when you, when you think about it, it's kind of sad. Yep. But that thing is terrifying. 
And <laughs> to it's, be fair. And it's, you know, the latest technology, you know? Yeah. Alma Nitt says Ellsworth tells her about Martha's invitation to see the safe. Alma is skeptical. How enthusiastic was Seth? And Martha persisted. Hmm. <laughs> Ellsworth wants to revisit his marriage proposal, but Alma still has not made up her mind. I love when uh, Ellsworth tells Alma what, um, what's her name? Martha? Yeah, what Martha said. And she was like, that bitch, did she say that? Like, <laughs> you can <laughs> yeah. see it in her face. <laughs> that bitch. <laughs> and uh, poor Sophia, so bored. All she's doing is holding that ball of yarn. <laughs> I feel so bad for that kid. She doesn't get to go out. Oh, there's so much boredom back in those days, especially if you didn't have to work. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of surprised she didn't, it wasn't at least teaching her how to knit. I did appreciate that she seemed to actually be knitting. I I didn't examine the close-ups that that, um, carefully, but she did seem to be knitting, which so often it's amazing. Knitting is not that hard. (laughs) But but so often on these things, they get it wrong. It's weird. Hmm. No, it looked do they right get it? Do they get it wrong here? No. Hmm. It looked right. I thought about your photograph. Oh, girl. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That holding the yarn while the other one. Yeah. Maybe she'll teach Sophia how to make her clothing. <laughs> 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 then she won't need the birds and the mice. <laughs> I don't know that uh, that she's going to know how to sew. She uh, she probably knows all kinds of needlework. She could probably make la- she may be able to tat and and make lace and and uh, cross stitch appliques. Applique, yeah. And she might be knitting. Sophia, some nice little thing for the winter to come. Hat a took. scarf. Or... A toque. Is it a took or a toque? What, in Canada? Yeah. I don't know. I know some people pronounce I don't know. I know it's spelled like toque, but I don't know if that's the way Isn't it's... Is it a French word? Toque. Yeah, toque. In French, that's how you say it. Toque. What does it mean? I don't know. It's it not... might be might be borrowed from uh, uh, First Nations people. I don't know. What is it? It's a it's a hat. It's a winter hat. It's a, hat. It's a woolen hat. That's what I'm. That's what I was meaning. What does it mean? Like, okay, it's a woolen hat. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know. You didn't know. No, Sorry. I have no idea. It's just so, such a common word here. I didn't. Realize. No, never heard it. Um. So, any particular shape hat? No, it's just a woolen hat. You can put a pom pom on top. I don't know. It's. Just what we would call a knit hat, okay. I think. Uh, I don't know if we have a word for it here. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know you guys didn't have a word. We might call it a beanie. Oh. Uh, a beanie yeah. is one without a pom-pom, right? That's kind of what they've been calling these things lately. I, I, uh, <laughs> a knit cap, we, you sometimes hear the, the ones that are just plain and sometimes have a pom pom on them, and they're just—they would refer to them as a knit cap, mm. like like um, Jane from Firefly. <laughs> well, I think that's of its own. 
kind of thing. I mean, yeah, that would, that would, it had ear flaps and stuff, which is a little fancier. Mm. Didn't it have air flaps? Yeah, it did. It's more like an aviator style than, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Usually plain knit caps don't have the ear flaps and stuff, but, uh, I don't know what those are called either. I think Alma thinks that Martha inviting her to the hardware store is like a challenge almost. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I almost thinking, does does this lady think that I'm too chicken shit to go? Yeah. Is that what it is that what this is? Yeah, I I think you're right. I think there's definitely a piece of that, like that it's a challenge, yeah. I thought some shit was gonna go down once she went, but it seemed pretty okay. I guess we'll talk about it when it happens, but Seth was definitely kind of wondering what <laughs> was going on. Well, yeah, I was kind of of the same mind as him. I was like, oh, jeez. Like, <laughs> Talk about deer caught in the headlights. I've yeah. seen that, guy, that look on guys' faces before. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It, it was... He had the same look as when he was called away and he had to leave the two of them alone. Yeah. 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 It's going to be okay there by himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, yes. Martha, Seth, and Saul are eating lunch, and Martha sees Trixie excluded, looking over her numbers. She says, Are you certain you won't join us? Trixie politely declines. She just, she doesn't feel like a part of their world. She, she yeah. says she doesn't eat the, the midday meal, but do you think that's what it is, really? She just didn't want to. Yeah, I don't think she intrude. wants I don't think she feels part of that whole thing. And I don't, I don't think she wants to let herself feel part of it. It's like, it's, it's like she hasn't accepted the idea that she can be something other than what she's been in the past. Yeah. She's afraid of being vulnerable. Her society doesn't tell her anything different. Right. Right. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of people who, the last thing they want to do is start hoping for something better because they, they're not going to be able to, they've dealt with so much disappointment in their lives. It's like when you're in high school and the popular kids say, come eat lunch with us. And they've never spoken to you before. And you're like, uh huh. Okay. What's this? What's going to happen here? I'm being yeah. set up for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think she necessarily thinks that about, about them. But, like, I almost feel like she thinks that there's a natural order that... I feel like she thinks that the bottom's going to fall out of the situation and she's just being very cautious. Right. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't want to allow herself to hope for anything Mm -hmm. and then be disappointed. Right. So. Yeah. She doesn't want to fall as as far. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Trying to prevent that. Yep. Martha wonders if she might revisit with Alma the topic of her teaching the camp's children. Johnny comes over. He's he's there to summon Seth to see Al. But Seth says, not just now. Yeah, there was a lot of awkward politeness. And so Johnny just kind of waits outside. Like, well, I can't go back and tell Al that I failed to get the sheriff. So I'll just stand here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As Tom tells William about his crucible, the fabled mud slick outside the Bella Union, Steve listens and smiles. Did anyone see Steve happy and become deeply unsettled by this? 
because he's just kind of standing there laughing. Yeah, I wasn't sure what that was all about. Yeah, I figured he was going to become like a, a pedophile or something. Yeah, that's what I thought. Steal the kid. Yeah, that's the vibe I got too. Yeah, I was unsettled. Mm-hmm. But then he said something about about you know he started kissing up to um trying to use the kid to kiss up Seth for so some reason. Yeah. Like, oh, and you could, you know, you don't... Something, it was very reverse sort of thing. It was like, I'm going to give you some money, and then if you want to tell your dad that I gave you some money so I look like a good guy, then that'll be between you and him. But, yeah. Is that like, what he did? I, I couldn't tell what he gave him. Yeah, I thought yeah, he gave him like a coin or something. I didn't know what he gave him either. I just caught, like, the tail end of, you know, and got the idea that he was, you know trying to kiss up to Seth through the kid. But he did try to shield him from the horse. I, I noticed that. He like... But, but he, maybe... tried, he tried to get him out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, this is what he says. That's between us. Tell no one I give you that. P- puts the coin in William's pocket. He says, uh, I best not, but thank you. And Steve says, you keep it a secret and you won't get into any trouble. And if you told I helped you on that bike, that's between you and your father. Okay, so he's 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 being nice here, but it really bothers me when adults tell children to keep secrets like from their parents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that's Oh yeah. Big red flag there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All kinds of wrong. Yeah. And we're used to him being nasty and mean and a racist, and here he is smiling and oh bicycle, yay! And it's like Dude, you are really creeping me out right and now. And he's, he's the horse guy, right? Yeah. He is the, yeah, the jacked up on a horse guy. So so that's, you know, I don't want to profile him, but a little <laughs> un- <laughs> around children. He's profiled. <laughs> I liked him more when he was a racist uh, horse masturbator. And now that he's being nice, I'm really disturbed by him. Yes. Yeah, it's just really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Alma enters the hardware store with Sophia and Ellsworth in tow, and Martha quickly extends her hand, wishing Alma luck on this new adventure with the camp. There's a great pause when everyone waits to see how Alma will react, but Alma accepts Martha's hand of friendship and thanks Martha for her offer to teach the camp's children. Alma inspects the safe, gives it a big thumbs up. Trixie, the whore, is the bank's first depositor. Johnny really must insist, Sheriff. You you have to come witness some risk business. And since everyone seems, you know, okay, and everything at the hardware store is pretty calm, Seth excuses himself. But he's a little, as you said, he's a little, like, are they going to start fighting? Or Mm. should I leave? I guess I can go for a little while. So the big bank venture is pretty much uh, safe in the hardware store? With a ledger? No, they're going to be building a bank. Okay. That's what they said. Yeah. And eventually the safe will go in the bank. And uh, then it'll be a safe in another building that they call a bank and a ledger. (laughs) There was some uh, debate in the previous episode where uh, they would build the bank where the location would be. Saul was thinking like central would be good, but Seth didn't want it near the hardware store because then Elma would have to see him every day. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. So they are building a a bank. Okay. 
Seems like a fairly small safe, but that's it's it's a fine starter bank, I suppose. Starter yeah. safe. Yeah. <laughs> Tess is not doing a very good job stimulating Mose, who is losing at cards. Mose accuses Leon of cheating him. He stands up and draws his gun. Psy consents to give back his last wager, but Mose wants all of it. And Wilcott says, oh, you want all of it? Youth, beauty, your brother resurrected? Mose clearly feels guilty about shooting his brother, so he raises his weapon and then is promptly shot three times. Wilcott instructs Psy's men to get the sheriff before getting the dock. And then Wilcott threatens to burn down the Bella Union and have Psy mutilated. Yeah. That's the first time he's made such a word threat, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was like, whoa, this guy is really going off the deep end here. And Psy didn't even, like, seem to take it badly. He's like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I assumed he'd be like, are you threatening me? Like, something like that, you know? Well, he, I think you can see this guy just. He's coming unraveled. I mean, this whole thing, you know, I mean, they'd been foreshadowing that this guy was going to, I mean, Charlie and and everybody was saying this guy was going to die. But whether Wolcott wanted him to die right then just because he wanted to see somebody die or whether it was more for business, I'm not sure. I think it may have been a little of both. Or boredom. Yeah. Kind of like this guy is just like, I'm done dealing with this guy. Yeah. You know, he's used to getting what he wants. Yeah. He got what he wanted from the guy. He did, but now the guy is in the way. Like he's just. He's being. Obnoxious. Obnoxious. And there, there is that hanging question of, did he murder his brother to, to be able to sell the mine, which isn't good for images. So we'll just push Moe's like to the breaking point and then he'll get, he'll get, be killed by size guys and then we don't have to deal with him anymore. Then you right. get the money back. Maybe. Maybe. No, it should go to his next of kin if he has any, but. I thought they established he didn't. Oh. He certainly doesn't have any more siblings. What they say. But. Or his brother, I guess, didn't have any next of kin. Yeah. I just assumed he's in the same boat. Yeah, I would think you're right. Um, I, I was, I mean, I thought that uh, the guy was pretty close to suicide by rifle, you know. Yeah. Without Wolcott. But. Um, so I was wondering if Mose was looking at the money when he was with the horror because he wanted to remind himself that he got something out of all of this. Yeah, probably. Kind of mm-hmm. like, uh, I killed my brother, but like like a- I look at the money, it reminds me it's a source why of I did it. Room. Or, I don't know, maybe some people, they would look at the money and then they would be reminded of their brother that they killed for the money. I don't... Probably a little bit of both. Yeah, it's maybe. probably like, Maybe it's like a, a something where he's like, oh my god, look at all this money. But at the same time, he's conflicted, right? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. He he seemed almost immediately like he regretted what he did. Yeah. Like he felt yes. really guilty. Yeah, yeah like and... he wanted to do it, but he didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yep. 
I'm not really sure what Tess is doing because it looks like she's just kind of grinding her head against his crotch. <laughs> I, his pants look like fastened, like all the way fastened. So maybe something about like her tongue Wolcott. and her mouth. Maybe he's like Wolcott. He just likes to have his pants on when he's given a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that works. But... Oh. I don't think this is anyone's quote, but Moe Mose says to Tess, get your head on it. And she says, my head is on it. And Sly says, get your head on it, Tess. It's on it, Mr. Tolliver. And if you really want to be disturbed, consider the fact that Tess is played by Paris Booth, Powers Booth's daughter. Ew. Okay. Oh, that's Yeah. That was just disgusting. That <laughs> it <no>. really was. <laughs> At least she isn't doing it to sigh. Yeah. Oh, just a little too uh, public. Thanks for the silver lining, Carol. <laughs> I appreciate it. I always try and look at the bright side. <laughs> well, at least they're professionals. Consummate actors. <laughs> and this was our fifth scene inside of a saloon. So we're up to number five on our count. The underscore starts around this point, starts to build the tension. Sophia wants candy as a reward for doing her numbers. Alma wants to sign the first bank receipt. Well, I have to say, I really admired the um, gracious way Alma handled that funny little, uh, well, oh, I forgot her name now. So little, yeah, Sophia's uh, wanting candy after. I thought she handled that graciously because she was obviously embarrassed and yeah. that's not your greatest uh, way to reward your children. Mm-hmm. But she just, that was classy. Yeah. 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 Kind of admitting that uh, this is something that, you know, she's been doing. Yeah. <laughs> Jack is to fetch Sheriff Bullock, but he's busy at the gym witnessing Alice sign her documents Steve tries to lift William onto the bicycle, but misses, so Tom will swing around again. Steve puts a coin in William's pocket, suggesting he tells Seth what a nice guy he is for helping him on that bicycle. Hostetler tells Fields to hold onto the leg rope, and as Hostetler pulls out his knife, the horse bolts. It runs through the camp. It runs right into William and Steve. Everyone senses something is very wrong, and our last shot is Tom running over to William, who is sprawled face up on the ground. Steve mutters, I think my back is broke. Except he got up, so I think his back is, is probably pretty messed up, but okay. He's wrenched his back. Yeah. Yeah. Could be fractured. It could be, but I mean, he was moving, so I assume he wasn't, uh... He wasn't paralyzed. He'd probably yeah. have trouble breathing if his back was broke. Yeah. Also, his back is broken, not broke. Yeah. Steve. Bob, <laughs> <laughs> I had money. That's but all. The, the kid could still be alive, like... He could be. Maybe yeah. he'll be like, uh, what's that kid from uh, Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Bran. <laughs> yes, Bran. He'll be bedridden. Yep. Will Steve carry him around on his back? Oh, and then he just, just keeps saying, Steve, Steve. He's gonna, <laughs> they're going to remove his legs and replace them with a, a bone shaker. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to ride a bone shaker for the rest of his life. <laughs> He's going to be half bone shaker. <laughs> Is that the amalgamation? Yes. <laughs> That's our prediction. <laughs> half boy, half bicycle. <laughs> uh, 
Um, the boat <laughs> so let's let's go around. Uh, everyone predict like where they fall on the William scale. Like dead, paralyzed. He's not dead. Not if dead. He, if he was dead, they would have made sure we knew in this episode. I think. No, I think so. Really? Well, I don't know. I mean, we haven't really had a cliffhanger like this. I don't think that's what, yet. That's what I mean. So yeah. You don't think he's dead, Mel? Oh, I don't know. I thought he was dead. Uh, but he could very well be alive. That's no prediction. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. He, he's probably dead, but he could be alive. <laughs> <laughs> he's like Schrodinger's cat. He's both dead and alive. Yeah. He's dead inside. No, wait. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on, Carol. A horse trampled my soul. <laughs> I've been trying to figure this out based on where that would put everybody. I mean, my first impression was that he was dead. Um, but I mean, he definitely could be unconscious. So I was like going back and forth, like, okay, it's going to change the dynamic going on. Whether, I mean, if he's dead, it really changes the dynamic. And because now why are he and Martha really married? If, if it's not for the kid and here Seth has got a kid on the biological child on the way. Hmm. I think he's dead. Okay. Emily. I'm going to go with life altering injury. Okay. Whether that is like head injury or paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah, me too. In addition to not dead, I will say that i mean it would it would be kind of useless for them for him to just get hit by a horse with no consequences so yeah life-altering injury okay oh that was the episode and the good one super creepy it could have been very well sung by steve (laughs) (laughs) it was that creepy mama's gonna buy or mama's gonna buy him a little lap dog by vera hall ward yeah that was odd yeah kind of unsettling yeah. I thought you might ask about the end song, so I looked up some information about that. It's found on an album called Negro Folk Music of Alabama Volume 1 Secular Music. Pumping harmonica solos, field calls, ring game songs, and a rendition of Rare Rabbit and the Alligators. The 14 secular-based field recordings heard here were collected by Harold Corlander in, West- in western Alabama during the first few months of 1950. Listening is like stepping back in time. The liner notes include lyrics, background information on each track, and an explanation of the connection between the African earth bow, the Haitian mosquito drum, and the African-American washta bass. Hmm. An invaluable collection, Negro Folk Music of Alabama, Volume 1, reminds listeners that the music they love, jazz, rock, pop, blues, owes so much to African-American folk music from the Deep South. Mm-hmm. My favorite track from that album is called She Done Got Ugly. By Willie Turner. Amazing. <laughs> There's also another track called Now Your Man Done Gone. <laughs> Are they like, is it like, kind of like a part one, part two? It might be. <laughs> that that one, I mean, there's so many variations on that that particular mm. title. <laughs> That's pretty you may have all heard it or not. All right, let's revisit our predictions. Carol, you predicted... Something to do with businesses, bank, mining, and getting Elma to sell her claim. So, yeah. 
Nah. Yeah. It's a general... It's not much of a prediction. Nebulous prediction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would give myself points on that one. Me neither. <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey! I'm allowed to say that you are. <laughs> Matt predicted the business with the bank gets going and two characters will merge and become an amalgamation. True. On both counts. <laughs> the bank got a safe and... Uh, William is going to become part bicycle. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mel predicted that L will fuse with the chief and become a two-headed beast with superpowers. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Aw. We didn't even see the chief this episode. <laughs> no, we didn't. Disappoint. Lots of, like, chimera amalgamations. Mm. <laughs> For our miscellaneous count, you were to predict how many scenes we would have in a saloon, the gem, the Bella Union, the number 10. I counted five, though possibly four, four and a half. (laughs) Either way, uh, Mel, you predicted 10, Carol said six, Matt said five. So he either got it right on or he was closest. So once again, we give it to the person who watches the episode in advance (laughs) and makes his prediction. I'm just that good, guys. Yep. <laughs> I should try to keep an eye on him more. <laughs> <laughs> I always wait till Mel falls asleep, and then I watch the episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wah. <laughs> Let's move on to feedback. First one is from Nutty. Emily, why don't you read this one? Okay. What? No, that's not fair. William can't be dead. If this ends, William is dead and Mrs. Bullock offs herself, I will curse Salma. This episode was paced in such a way that anxiety grew within me as it went on, all till the end of the episode. It was beautiful in in how it manipulated my emotions, but damn it. Ellsworth and Trixie are adorable. Also, love that Trixie was the first deposit. I love that too. (laughs) Trixie the whore. Yeah. Oh! Children present. <laughs> Just pulling it right out of her brassiere. <laughs> does, wait, does Trixie not have a last name? Not that we've heard. Mm. Trixie, sure she has one. Whore. Interestingly <laughs> enough, the subtitles on mine changed whore to ore. As oh, in that's weird. gold ore. And I was like, <laughs> Trixie the ore? Trixie yeah. the ore. <laughs> the ore. That's funny. Like, okay, that's not what she said. okay she goes on William won't drink tea because his dad used to make it so cute and sad Tom Nuttle is a freaking jinx never go to the 10 saloon and don't hang out with him if you value your life I love that Jane is moving in with Joni new chess he doesn't drink tea I missed that or I misinterpreted that I think she made coffee no he wouldn't drink berry tea Oh, because he his his father makes coffee. I don't know. I thought he thought it was smelly. Yeah, I don't think there's a connection between his father making coffee and not drinking tea. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Okay, I yeah, I didn't get that. I also liked how the tension built as the music kicked in and Mm -hmm. we were going back and forth between the different places. It, It it felt like something was going to happen right oh yeah you guys you guys all felt that but did you think it was gonna i guess mad mel knew immediately 
that William was going to die because yep. he had like sunflowers. When we got to a big tip off. <laughs> well, when we got to his second scene, I was like, "What? There's more William scenes than yeah, usual. like it was like a William-centric episode. Yeah, yeah. Mm, okay. But but this episode, this show hasn't had things where okay, as soon as you have a a character-centric episode, that character is dead. Mm, yeah, but they yeah, all- but that's just a TV trope kind of thing. Like yeah, that's what people do. When it's the really innocent character that that they never highlight yeah. previously, yeah, and then suddenly they're All TV very shows do upfront, that. yeah, like oh, we're gonna lose this person, so we better give them their moment in the sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen that done lots too. Uh, the thing that surprised me was that there was every reason to concentrate on on William and his growing relationship with Seth because of his mother's kind of ultimatum to Seth the last time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I was looking at it as, okay, they're looking at more as development of what was going to happen with Seth than William per se. And so I was, I was surprised at the end. I, I knew somebody was going to, something really bad was going to happen, but I I didn't get it that it was going to be William. I was surprised it wasn't a bicycle accident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, in fact, was... rewatching it, I see Tom on the bicycle and the horse coming. I'm like, oh, God, Tom, get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought it was going to Well, you know, one of the things that they've done really well on this show is they've had these um, cutting around town of what everybody is doing at the same time and what's going on. And it hasn't been for this purpose. You know, they've, they've had things where, okay, things are building up and there's going to be a big fight or there's going to be whatever. So they've done the same thing of cutting around, but they've done it for different purposes in different episodes, which is kind of cool. And I think this is the first one that they've really done where it's been, we are telling you something very bad is going to happen, but we're not, you know, you're going to have to figure out which of these, you know, how these things are com- going to come together and who's going to end up hurt. Our next feedback is from Harold. Matt, will you read this one? Uh, all right. I didn't get around to rewatching this episode until Friday night after I had spent several hours online watching French TV, hearing all the stories about people who went out for a nice dinner or out to a new co- or out to a concert and got shot down, not to mention the other news stories from Beru and Japan, and more personally to me a couple days after hearing about the death of my childhood friend in a motorcycle accident. Sorry about that, Mm. Harold. Yeah. Uh, Not unlike these real-life events, the characters of Deadwood in this episode went about their daily business, planning banks, plotting against each other, making friends and enemies, when tragedy struck out of thin air. The Bone Shaker, which brought a much-needed moment of lightness to the camp, is now a reminder of tragedy. Of course, accidents like this or the sudden onset of failed diseases were more common 150 years ago than they are now, but they will always be with us. It appeared that Seth and Martha were headed towards reconciliation because of William. Newbies, how do you think this incident will affect them? Will Seth's fury rain down on Steve, the general, or Hostetler? <laughs> The horse. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's... Well, we didn't talk about that. Um, no, we did. They're gonna. The camp is gonna turn against 
Fields and Hostetler because they were the uh, ones who were looking after that horse. I was it, afraid that that would happen. Yeah, I no. didn't think of that, but that seems uh, plausible. <laughs> I did. That, that was my first thought at the end of the episode. I was like, "Oh shit!" But mm. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, also, I I thought it was very plausible. I had thought of it. The thing is that I mean, runaway horses were not all that uncommon at the time. Mm. But it doesn't take much to stoke no. the fires of racism. It, oh, no. Not at all. Uh, if William pulls through, it <laughs> would be better for Fields and Hostetler. I think if he dies, it would be significantly worse. But mm -hmm. th again, it doesn't really matter when it comes to racists who want to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, by the time these he, two guys, by the time he pulled through, the two of them could be dead, you know? It, yeah. Because it doesn't really... In the moment after a, an accident like that, if the crowd, if the mob decides to go after somebody, that. They could lie and say that the horse didn't come from the livery. Yeah, I'm sure somebody would know. Would have been witnesses. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, they were turning it on its side and, you know, had it laying down and everything else. It was, I think people would have noticed. Maybe. Um, it's hard and there weren't a lot of other horses around at that point. Yeah. It's hard too to kind of know if they had the proper. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you can truly blame them. Like, I don't know if they had the proper setting to do uh, castration, but they were kind of desperate to do it for money, you know, because they need the money. So, I don't know. It's kind of well. The general was desperate to do it for the money. Mm. You blame the moon for not being full. <laughs> they should just like gang up and uh, try to get at the moon. <laughs> Damn you. Uh, Harold continues. <laughs> yes, Matt. Uh, it seemed odd to me that Merrick was willing to place false stories in his newspaper. Is this solely to get back at Tolliver? I thought he had principles. Yeah, I also thought that about him. I didn't think he would get in on this. I love the way Moe's manual handled his interrogation. It's a lesson for us all. <laughs> uh, 10 out of 10 coffees, the way my dad used to make them. Hmm. Hmm. Um, you know, I that bothered me about the newspaper at first, too, and I was thinking about it. It's like, okay, what's the difference between this situation and the other situation? And I think the difference is that... Um, one of them was they wanted him to put a story in the paper that would cause people to panic and cause people to be ripped off. Whereas he's trying to put a story in the paper that will help the town. And ain't they allies marching? <laughs> and Al wanted him just to say... That Sheriff Bullock did not deny the rumors that Montana was considering annexation. Yeah, but he That's had how Al phrased it. Merrick took it and spun it to yeah. another level, which is, I think, him just getting carried away with being, you know, a writer. Like, yeah, oh, I can really turn this into a piece right. of, you know, a really great work. Rumors are spinning around. It, it was certainly good for business because he was printing up a hundred extra copies. Although I didn't see anybody actually buying any. Mel, would you please read this feedback from Jonathan? 
Oh, I sure will. Bracket transcribed via voice to text in bracket. (laughs) 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 All right. Is is it you're lazy, Jonathan? (laughs) 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 But I appreciate the feedback. Um, is it wrong given my natural inclination for villainesses that I should find Miss Isringhausen more and more attractive? (laughs) (laughs) Really? I say no. (laughs) It is anyone who disagrees with me that is wrong. (laughs) Okay. Bullock's conversation with William at the beginning of the episode, in which he states that he barely knew his brother, underscores for me the madness of the fact that he married his brother's widow. He could barely have known her. While I'm aware that this is a thing that sometimes happened, surely it was not the only honorable way of dealing with the situation. Madness, I tell you. Uh I enjoyed Jane and Joni's exchange, especially picking up as it did after my favorite scene from the previous episode, in which Jane points a rifle at Wolfram, I mean Wolcott. I hope Joni and Jane become friends. I think they're already kind of friends, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They're get at least they're getting there. Yeah, yeah. definitely getting there. BFFs, cupcake store. <laughs> cupcake store. <laughs> what do you think? Like Jane would do in the cupcake store? Mm. She probably put booze in the frosting. <laughs> She'd write obscene messages uh, with the frosting. <laughs> She'd just draw, like, just penises. Fuck you. <laughs> That'd be fucking I think if Jane joined in the venture, they'd have to do, like, a cupcakes and guns. You know? Aww. Where they each kind of put a little different parts of their personality. You know? Cupcake gun. A, gu- a gun hiding guns. inside a cupcake. No, Buy a gun, get a cupcake. Cupcakes. Aww. Cupcakes for gun exchange. Aww. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> like toys for tots. <laughs> <laughs> I confess that what happened at the end of the episode was a surprise to me, in spite of the music and the clear ramping up on the drama. But I think there are things to be learned from this. One, don't be a sheriff in Deadwood. Two, don't ride a bone shaker. Three, don't attempt to ride doubles on a bone shaker. Four, don't be Moe's manual. Five, don't let Steve touch you. He fucked a horse. I did not fuck that horse. <laughs> Don't castrate a horse. Well, sorry. Six. Don't castrate a horse when the moon isn't right. Seven. Watch out for horses. They're dangerous. Eight. Size the worst. Fuck sigh. <laughs> uh, until next time, guys. Thanks for not crashing sounds. <laughs> oh no, it's mellow. God, please. Ah! Message ends. Ah, uh-huh, just kidding about being murdered. One last point. I like the scene with Blazanov and Dan at the end. I'm not fond of Dan when he threatens others, unless it's EB. So someone not cowering when he tries it is refreshing. It also made me a fan of Blazanov, a character that I had been lukewarm on up to this point. Alright. Agreed. I like Dan when he's a big crybaby. Yeah. (laughs) Is there anybody on this show, Emily, that you want a mama bear? Oh, um. Who needs a hug? Hmm. Who needs to go out for ice cream? <laughs> Dan once in a while. But let's see, my mama bear instincts. Is this a thing you do on your podcast, Emily? I just 
I'm kind of a mama bear, so you just like to give people hugs. I just, I just naturally mama bear characters. Aww. Um, not so much. Probably Clark- now and then, everybody a little bit. <laughs> but there isn't a character that stands out that would like go in my mama bear bed. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jane needs some help. Jane would definitely be the closest. You're right. I forgot about Jane. Right. Well, you should take a drug Jane into your mama bear bed. Aww. She could she could use it, huh? What about Charlie? He's in a lot of pain. What about they could, they could both climb in bed with you? <laughs> yeah. Poor, poor Ellsworth is is it's okay. Wondering what's going to happen with his proposal. Yeah. I would like to give Harold a newbie prediction. I thought he had an interesting question, and perhaps I think this because I pondered it quite a bit when the episode was over. What this is going to do to Martha and Bullock. Right. That's because what I was when there's a tragedy like that, especially a child or, child or something, introducing a tragedy into a relationship can really make or break it. Yeah. And I think in my head, they are not at a point where it's going to be a good thing to draw them closer together. I think it's going to be a tear them apart kind of a thing, no matter what the tragedy is, whether it's death or, uh, especially back in those days, something like I'm saying, a life altering injury would be a giant stress. It's a giant stress these days, but back then it's, you know, yeah, yeah. a lot worse. Yeah. I mean, they depend on that kid. I was so impressed with him earlier when he's like, do you have, you know, it was the coffee scene, I think. Do you have time? And he's like, I did the kindling last night. You know, it's like, man, that's amazing. (laughs) It's a mini adult, they tell you. I know. They depend on him. They have these jobs and you did your job as a kid. And they, especially people that lived on farms, you know, just all of that. And so it's going to be stressful. Yeah, basically, it's like a you know a guarantee that someone will keep doing the work when you can't do it. Yeah, it's not unheard of. I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that this might draw Seth and Martha closer together. Mm-hmm. But I feel because of the nature of the relationship at this point, it's going to be a major stress. There's going to be blame, and there's always blame. Yeah, and anger, and it's not going to be a good thing. Yeah. Or maybe she's so distraught that he has to go to her. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's I, possibly. I feel I like if it's a if it's an injury, a life changing injury, it'll bring them together. And if it's death, it'll split them apart. Yeah. We've got some feedback from first time feedbacker Laurel, Facebook member Laurel. Carol, would you read this one, please? Absolutely. Hello, Hooplecasters. I pushed it way too close to the deadline to provide feedback, but I promised that I would, so here I am. Because I am short on time, my feedback is generally about the title of the episode, Amalgamation and Capital. As Carol has often mentioned on the cast, often the titles in the show are quite ambiguous, but this one seemed to be on the nose to me. Hmm, okay. Last time for episode 8, I think you talked briefly at the end of the show, about what the next title might mean for the next episode. Amalgamation, while generally means to mix or combine, such as in a business merger, politically, or in the mining process. Also was used in the times contemporary to Deadwood, 
in the 1870s, 80s was mixing of races, interbreeding, or mixing of races in social circles. I came across that as a primary definition of amalgamation in a book of language for how people spoke in the 1800s. Just thought it was interesting. Hmm, cool. That's me, not her. Yeah. (laughs) Capital. Well, that's obviously a pervasive theme in Deadwood. Over gold and wealth, who has it and who wants it, and women as a form of capital for the Bella Union and the gem. In my recollection, this episode had many parallels and examples of both amalgamation and capital. From Alma and Martha mixing more, the receipt of the cash infusion to open the bank in Deadwood, General Fields and Hostetler becoming more present in the thoroughfare, and Miss Inringhausen making a deal with Al, which garners her a tidy sum. There are many more examples of these two concepts, but these were the first that came to my mind. Otherwise, this episode really built the tension up at the very end, as everyone started to assume their places in the town as a horrible accident unfolds. You knew it was coming. Milch set it up quite well, and I knew it would be something bad, but it was in denial as long as I could be that it would be William. As a mom of a kid roughly the age of that character, I was chilled to the bone. I like the episode, but can't wait to see what happens in episode 10. Talk about a cliffhanger. Laurel. Mm-hmm. What, Thanks, what a Laurel. great thing. Thank you, Laurel. Yeah. I'm, And you know, I try to find Amalgamation and Capital like used in an, in an article, in an historical context, because Charlie says that an Eastern reporter said to Wild Bill at one point that that's what's changing things in America, amalgamation and capital. So I was typing in those keywords, and I couldn't find anything except this episode and references to this episode and transcripts and so forth. So, huh. Well, I mean, she's got some really, really good points. Mm-hmm. And amalgamation, yeah, means coming together and stuff. And I had always assumed it in terms of corporations kind of you know us beginning to have the big corporations where where the smaller groups were were amalgamating and and becoming bigger and kind of taking things over like Hearst for instance um eating everything up and of course capital is usually you know money and so forth but i hadn't thought of some of the things that she said so that this was very cool yeah it's um a good good episode titles often have double triple meanings, so yeah. maybe, maybe that's maybe that's what they were going for. And good job getting it right under the line. Mel was on her way to kill you. That's why she she's very quiet. <laughs> she actually walked out the door. I'm gonna have to go get her and call her back. No, <laughs> no. Oh wait a minute! She went out the door to kill Laurel. Oh okay. yeah, Laurel is supposed to be our guest next episode. So please, <laughs> please, Mel, don't <laughs> call off the hit. I will, it off. I will go chase oh, after. That would be great. That would be great. Wonderful. <laughs> Our last bit of feedback is from Will, and it's audio feedback. Hey, guys, it's me. I had to take some time away from my video game to perform my listener duties, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Not mad at all. So we're winding down season two of Deadwood. It's a good episode, the amalgamation of whatever. I love the scene with William bonding with Seth at the beginning. Um, yeah, uh, 
Again, I don't know. Should that have been a sign that something bad was going to happen to William? I don't remember this from my first watch through, but I don't remember a lot of stuff. Kind of reminds me of that scene in Game of Thrones where he's like, next time we meet, we'll speak of your mother. <laughs> so William's supposed to teach him what duck calling, but he's not going to get a chance to. Mm-hmm. Or is he? I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe he lives. Um, so the telegraph operator was a character in that puppet Deadwood thing I went to a while back, but I didn't want to mention him because it would be a spoiler. Um, so I don't think I mentioned him. Yeah, I kind of want to see Charlie fight Cy. And why is Cy kind of antagonizing Seth? I don't know. Uh, once again, Jane and Charlie had a really good scene together. And I like how everybody acts so weird whenever uh, Martha mentions Alma. But I'm glad Trixie said something later on. The thing with Miss Isringhausen, I wonder if I uh, even understood what was really going on a lot of the times when I first watched the show. I think I'm a lot better at, you know, deciphering this show now, second time around. So, this episode was like when your partner is in the mood, but, you know, this video game just came out a few days ago, and you want to play it, so you just got to do what you got to do so you can get back to your video game. It's not like <laughs> nice. you don't love your partner, want to be with your partner, but, you know, Fallout only happens once every few years, so... I'm going to go get under a blankie and play my game. It's a little nippy on my twat, so I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. I think we just had more insight into Will's life than we expected. We always get insight every week. <laughs> every other <laughs> week. Uh, oh, well, thank you for the feedback, crew. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you guys, I don't I don't have to kill you. I kind of killed Jonathan, but then I brought him back to life at the very end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're very powerful, Mel. Yes, I am. I'm like a god. Yes. Half powers. <laughs> Are you going to bring William back to life? <laughs> I'll try my best. We'll know in two weeks if you are all powerful or not. Maybe I'll give him I'll give him Brand's power of like uh, dreaming that he's a wolf and like putting him in a wolf's body and shit. And Ellsworth's dog. Yes. Oh yes. Oh. <laughs> he, he not only will be a bicycle, he'll also be <laughs> a dog. He'll Aww. be a time dog. Oh, that listens to people's problems. <laughs> <laughs> William Bullock, therapist, dog therapist. Oh. <laughs> Not a therapist for dogs. Therapist dog. He's a dog. He's a dog therapist. He's therapist dog. Therapist. William dog. Bullock. Therapist dog. <laughs> <laughs> glad we got that. Glad we got that sorted out. I want him to hand out little business cards, like with like just like go up to people and like bring them business cards. Oh, <laughs> right up to people. No, no, just like the dog gives people oh, business cards. Nice. What if didn't? He, what if he's part dog, part bone rattler, <laughs> bone shaker? <laughs> Didn't Claire say that when she was in New York that someone, she complimented somebody on their dog and the, the person was like, oh, here's his business card. Um, <laughs> I, I encountered that as well. I, uh, I, there was someone in the park uh, a couple months ago with like a hairless cat and they were like, oh, here's his business card. <laughs> I was just like talking to them about the cat. The cat was in a stroller. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And they were like, oh, yeah, here's the business card for the cat. I was like, okay. Oh, go to hell. <laughs> no, I've gotten those at children's hospitals. Yeah. But these are like um, 
I can understand that. Yeah, like, dogs yeah. that come to like comfort children, they all have business cards. But that's the only time I've ever seen it. Yeah, this is just like for like they breed these people breed animals. I yeah. get it. Okay, that that, that makes sense too. That um, but here's where you can reach my dog. <laughs> <laughs> This is my dog's Instagram account. <laughs> you can see his resume on LinkedIn. All <laughs> uh, right. Well, let's rate this episode. Emily, go ahead. You first. Oh, um, I enjoyed it. And I thought it moved the story along and brought a game changer at the end there for the season. So I give it an 8 out of 10 sunflower seeds. Okay. Carol? Yeah, um, I liked it. It was, but it still had that feeling of being a conduit episode, you know? Um, lots of little scenes and stuff. I, I did enjoy it though. I thought it was done really well. I have, uh, 8.5 out of 10 creepy background tunes. <laughs> okay. Matt? I agree with what Carol just said. It feels like, you know, the big shit's going to happen next episode. But this was still an enjoyable episode. So mm-hmm. I'll give it 8 out of 10 horses who won't give up their balls. <laughs> Mel? Uh, yeah, I pretty much agree <laughs> with her. Uh, I keep going to the other person and they just all agree. Yeah, I know. Um, a couple of things that I didn't enjoy as much about this episode, but overall it was a good episode. So I will give it an 8 out of 10 lovable Russians. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I feel the same way as everyone here, that it was good, not great. I did like how the the tension built toward the end, and it felt like something big was going to happen, and it did, and I can't wait to see what the fallout of this is going to be. Yeah. I'll give this one 8.5 out of 10 cloud haulers, to be explained later in the quote section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Emily, who's your character of the episode? I forgot you did that. Um, do you want us to Alma. circle back? Okay. <laughs> I thought she had some good moments. She had to um, wend her way around a lot of things, a lot of social situations and awkward things. Ellsworth, yeah, she did a fine Martha. job. But mm-hmm. one vote for Alma, Carol. Huh. <laughs> That's a tough one. I forgot we did this too. Um, <laughs> Jeez, classic hooplehead. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I think I'm gonna go with William. Okay, that's my choice too. Yeah. All right. We may not see a lot of William in the future. It's a good choice, Matt. I don't know. Um, I'm gonna give it to. Oh, what's his name? <laughs> Who? Charlie? No, not Charlie. Not, Char- not Charlie. Ellsworth? Uh, no. Jimmy. Jimmy? Jimmy. Johnny? Johnny? Johnny. Johnny. That's it. We'll wow, just name every character in the show. Yeah. Why Johnny? All he did was stand outside of a door. Because he's trying to teach that whore how to read. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we did, forgot to mention that. No, we did mention it. Oh, did we? Yeah. 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 And it was nice. It was nice. I was like, what is Aw, Johnny. (laughs) It was nice. Although he's probably teaching her wrong, but whatever. I really wanted to see those letters that he was identifying. Yeah, me too. (laughs) That's a D. That's probably an O or something. (laughs) 
And I liked how he's like, please save me a beating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the wrist thing. You gotta do your wrist. <laughs> do a wrist thing. <laughs> I missed the wrist thing. I, I don't remember that. Oh, I thought I was gonna mention that I thought it was weird how during the the final bit where we get like kind of like reaction shots of everybody feeling like sensing something's wrong in the camp, how long it lingers on Jack the bartender. <laughs> of all people, like why do we care what Jack the bartender is thinking? Not sure. You're a very empathetic character. I didn't I don't even remember that. Well, he's my character of the episode. No, he's not. <laughs> um I'm going to give my nomination to Martha because I like that she she invited Alma over to see the bank. She's going to, you know, the hand of fellowship and friendship. That's nice. They're they're building bridges. That are ripped and torn apart as soon as they're built. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, but I thought she was uh, pretty classy, and I like that she said to Trixie, "Are you sure you won't join us for lunch?" Right. Yeah. So. She's a real lady. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked her this episode. So. Yeah. Um, any quotes, Emily? Yeah, I'm gonna be Queen Hooker. You're a keen fucking student of the human scene, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Jane quote too. Okay. Goodbye, Charlie. Goodbye. Have a good fucking trip. Shut the fuck up. Because it so happens, when you return, if no trees or animals killed you, you were fucking driving crazy with criticism. You will find I've moved out of the shitbox, so I don't have to fucking embarrass you or fucking have you hovering over me like the ugliest fucking nurse in that fucking universe. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty great. (laughs) Um, Carol? Um, Right at the beginning. Um... Let me see if I can read my writing here. I have been prostrated by the agonies of the damned. Judgment is upon us, then. <laughs> That's one of my quotes, too. That's a great EB quote. It's great on both sides. I love the sarcat, the dripping sarcasm on Al's side. And, I mean, the fact that he's talking about the agonies of the damned for his tooth when Al almost died recently from ah, one of the most point. painful yeah. ways possible. <laughs> yeah. Although, really, when it comes to, like, teeth and dentist work, I just bow down to everyone that lived before dentists and Novocaine and proper care. Yeah. Because, That's- wow, what they went through. That's very true, but, I mean, even so... But yes, you're right. With kidney stones incredibly painful and then without modern medicine oh my god yeah can i since i wasn't able to leave feedback for the last few episodes can i just say how delighted i was with al and his talking to the box the head in the box (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that just delighted me so much okay (laughs) time you don't send feedback emily i will kill you (laughs) i need to keep up (laughs) <laughs> here's my quote quotes uh, from conversation you seem uncowed by Mr. Blazanov's apparatus are you initiate in its mysteries fuck off <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that line is 80 yard when she says fuck off because it looks like her mouth doesn't move uh, oh that's weird 
But I still enjoyed it. I, I, that was like the only time that I've ever liked Alice. <laughs> so she told uh-huh. me to fuck off. <laughs> I, when she said that, I was like, well, she's letting it all hang out these days. She's not even trying anymore. She figures the jig is up, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, Will already kind of said it, but I'll say it again. This is from Joni. Jane, it's nippy on my twat. <laughs> Pretty great. Any other quotes? Matt has another quote here. Do it up. I wouldn't... Oh, oh, wait, sorry. How did the lady incline? Fucking Elwood. I wouldn't guess. Fucking Trixie. (laughs) (laughs) I had one... I was looking for the the exact words. Yeah, you're not only a pain in the balls, Charlie, but also the strangest person I've ever met. You get no argument here. Just the idea of Jane calling someone else the strangest person just struck <laughs> me funny. Let's see. Um, I got a, uh, a quote here from Moe's. Let me uh, get my arm through here so I can secure my toast. <laughs> Gross. That was disgusting. <laughs> that is a disgusting man. Yeah, he's pretty darn gross. Many facets of his character were disgusting. <laughs> yeah, he managed to hit it on all fronts. <laughs> Any other quotes? Yes, from Seth and William. Do you have time to sit a bit? I suppose I might do, having chopped the kindling last evening. <laughs> this kid is such an adult! <laughs> um, Kids were adults back then. I will conclude with this Tom and William exchange. A man tying the right rope to the frame and the other end to a thunderhead could use the machine to tow clouds. I wish I was taller. Well, when your legs lengthen, I calculate you'll be among the great cloud haulers of the world. Aww. All right, well, in two weeks, we, we will return with episode 22, Advances, None Miraculous. Advances. Not going to be a miracle for old Adv- William. None Miraculous. It'll be medical advances. William's going to get grafted onto a bone shaker. <laughs> that would not going to work miraculous. out. I got it. It's, not, it's not, not, not miraculous. It's so. not miraculous. It's science. science. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Mel, do you have a, a prediction separate from Matt's? Mm, let me think about it. You guys go ahead. All right, Carol. Huh. Say what the title is again. Advances, comma, none miraculous. Okay. Um. I mean, it sounds like there's going to be little incremental changes and stuff. Uh. But. That almost makes me think that, that William's not going to be dead, but. Um. No, let's say William is dead and the changes are that people start going on with their lives a little bit or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Well, I'll go with that, even though I don't think I'm right. Okay. Mel? Mm, I think there's going to be, like, I don't know. Uh, I I feel like with these... Don't, episodes- don't, that. don't give me ideas. <laughs> Those are your ideas. Matt just said there was an alien army advancing on the town. What does that even mean? I don't know! I don't know. There's just something advanced. Advances, you know? Uh, Alright. 
but it does sound kind of miraculous though. Um, I just, I feel like these, these titles, the way things are going, there could be like one person who says something about miracles somewhere in the episode. And that will be, you know, the only thing that is connected to the title. So. All I know is that the doctor is going to be real busy probably next episode. Oh, we didn't see the doctor, did we? Did not. We didn't. They just talked about him a little bit. Mm. We'll see him this next episode. Could you imagine, though, he's going to, if he loses that kid, he's going to hate himself. Well, he's also got Moe's dying in the other place, too. Yeah, yeah. You might not lose the kid. It might already be gone. But well, it's if it's there. if it's advances none miraculous, like he very well will probably not keep any of his patients. You know, like he'll lose both his patients. Mm. <laughs> well, there's also Steve, who might have a broken back. Mm-hmm. And who else? Or he might just be a big pussy. <laughs> I no. think Steve's just being a pussy. <laughs> not all. Um, he kind of, he wobbled and stuff. Did we see him? Was he the one that he ran, ran over to William? He ran over to William. Okay, so he was okay. So Mel, your prediction is that what? What did you? The say? doctor's going to be really busy. <laughs> the doctor's going to be very busy, and will he lose both patients? He will. And you, but didn't you say before that William would live? Ah, uh, yeah, but I mean, like, advances is none miraculous. Like that doesn't give me much hope. Hmm. Okay, so based on new information, now you're saying that he's going to die. Well, I don't know. I I said both when I said he could very well die or he could very well live. I didn't well, say either that's, way. That, I do remember that that is very in keeping with your your MO, which is to jerk me around and not give me a straight answer. <laughs> <laughs> I win. Uh, for our miscellaneous <laughs> prediction, I want you guys to predict how many minutes into the episode before we see the doctor. Oh. 30 seconds. Uh, not even. We're going to see him right away. No, wait. Yes. <laughs> so, so, what? so it's going to open with the doctor, and then maybe there's a knock on the door? Uh, it's going to be Tom Nuttall riding his bone shaker down to the doctor's office. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. Wait, that's my new prediction. <laughs> Tom Nuttall is just like, and then they're gonna like attach a little cart to the bone shaker, and they're gonna like h- like bring William over to the doctors or something. Or... <laughs> the bone shaker's gonna save the day. So your prediction still zero minutes? Like he yeah. it opens with him? No, I don't. And... Know. No, it's gonna be the bone shaker, and then it's gonna be like maybe a minute into it. No, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> Remember when I said about her jerking me around? <laughs> it not giving me a straight answer. <laughs> You're transcribing all this, right, Matt? <laughs> I, I'm trying to put down the prediction and I keep I, mean, I put something in the spreadsheet and then she goes no wait a minute and I delete it and I wait for the new one and I write that down and then I delete it I have Matt as 30 seconds he's easy Mel I don't know what do I put down what is somebody else <laughs> I'm so frustrated if we know Matt's gonna win because he watches the episode in advance <laughs> I have to put something. Okay, I'll say I'll say twenty-five seconds. Twenty-five minutes. What? Twenty-five seconds? Yes. How dare twenty-five you? minutes. Because he watches the episode in advance, so I know he's kinda right. He's trying to off like off center it a little bit. Like, you know, like trying to 
like make it seem like he didn't watch the episode in advance, but he totally did. So twenty five seconds, not thirty five seconds. Yeah, twenty five. Fine, I'm okay. just fine to two minutes. No. Two minutes? Yeah, no. no. Two minutes. Shit, he was just trying to throw me off. <laughs> Okay, Matt says two minutes, Mel says twenty-five seconds. Carol. Um four minutes. Four minutes. Alright, it's locked in. Alright. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Thank yes. you, Emily. We're always very happy to have you here. You're welcome. It was fun. Sorry I had to pop in and out. We've got Sunday afternoons are busy at my house. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Oh, you I did a lot. Dawn, you you were you were very stealthy. I was. Go dump another little pile of Cheerios in front of Eleanor, and <laughs> you guys were none the wiser. <laughs> we're, we, again, we're hoopleheads. Yeah, right. we're just um, walking down the street, minding our own business, and oh, runaway horse! <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me um, most frequently right now. Would be Sue watches Buffy. We're um, we don't identify ourselves as an intro cast but kind of we're just going through Buffy and Angel and my sisters watching it on the podcast for the first time but we do chunks of episodes not one at a time yeah good podcast Uh, thank you it's great and I'm also on McKinley cast with Carol yay I'm a vet she's a newbie Yep. And Sue and I, well, Sue Watches as Buffy is a spinoff from our original podcast called Yes Mother, which is uh, we go through Bates Motel. And we also do all things psycho related while we wait for Bates Motel. Watch like you all can find me. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all pretty bad except for the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Good, bad, though. They're fun. Yeah. And if you go onto the Yes Mother Facebook group, you can see photos that I took of the of the set, the Bates Motel and the house. Yes. With oh. a sign that says Yes Mother Podcast. Yeah, Matt uh, advertised on the set for us. Oh, cool. Okay. Matt, I was just watching uh, episode nine of Bates Motel recently, and they, w- they had a scene at that uh, park we went to. The beach. White Cliff Park, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay, that's you could, cool. You could see the breakwater out to that island that people were on. Of yeah. season one? No, no season three, episode season. nine. Yeah. Uh, where do I'm they look film? look that up. What was that? Where do they film? Vancouver. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we will see you in two weeks for Advances None Miraculous. Until then, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Watch out for that horse. Fuck that horse. (laughs) I did not fuck that horse. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Horse.
They were not being subtle at all. You know TV too well. Yeah, tension was really being built up this this particular episode. Mm. Yeah, it was. They had. I mean, the ominous music was just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Where are There's we? A lot of shuffling. I know. I was just waiting, <laughs> <laughs> just waiting for that to end. Sorry, that was, I figured that, it was cat related. It just sure sounds it like was. someone is shoving their hands inside a box of cereal. <laughs> really that loud? I'm sorry. Before I, I, I only moved like a couple inches, and it was cat related, just because I'm having to be in the same position for since we started. That's funny. So it sounded like you were like, climbing. It sounded like you were climbing through a pillow fort. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or like well, sitting in a box of foam peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> I literally I literally moved like three inches. That was it. Are you wearing a headset or something? Uh not anymore, because that was the first thing that went when the uh when we were having problems before. No. So. I could have muted it though. I'll next time I need to Move three inches. I will mute the thing first. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. It's All right, Matt. Will you do these quotes with me? I'll play the part of Mose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got shot at Nuttall's number ten by his own hand. Correct. The day you sell out the claim you two were uh, partnering on. Correct. And fuck yourself, and don't act entitled to answers. Why was Charlie handling the gun? Fuck yourself and don't act entitled. Go, Mel. What? What? Mm. Why, why do I... Wow, what? I'm doing a part? Yeah, there's a third character. <laughs> <laughs> why weren't you two watching Nuttall's bike ride? <laughs> Fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I totally um, fucked that up, didn't I? <laughs> you really did. You really did. Well, Matt surprised you with that. <laughs> There's always editing. Yeah, we'll just take that whole thing out. <laughs> oh, no, don't. It's funny. <laughs> oh, you can just edit out all the gaps and whatnot. But then we will know why Mel's screaming. Yeah. That's <laughs> the thing. It's just funny, guys. Whatever. Mel is always screaming. Come on. <laughs> I am always screaming. It's okay. I apologize. For what? I'll throw it in the outtakes. Boom, done. <laughs> what? Um, any other quotes? Yes. I will conclude with this Tom and William exchange. A man tying the right rope to the frame and the other end to a thunderhead could use the machine to tow clouds. I wish I was taller. Well, when your legs lengthen, I calculate you'll be among the great cloud haulers of the world. Aww. That should have been my rating. Oh, I know. Instead I just... of gauntlets thrown by Martha, I should have been cloud haulers. I did write cloud haulers as well, like, as a, as a rating. Oh, I should have picked it too. Well, why don't you just repeat it? You do the editing, right? So right. you just repeat it, and then you can just stick it in there. Ah. I'll give this one eight and a half out of ten cloud haulers. Oh, oh that was really good. Oh, I like that one. Good rating. <laughs> to be explained later. <laughs> to be explained later in the quote section. But this kid, this kid kills me. And oh, I shouldn't have said kills me. 